0: This is Carla Jackal Frampton. Hi, this is David Healy. Hello, this is Stephen Ferris. Hi, I'm
1: Bethany Ferris.
0: Hi, this is Joey Barton. Inchonis Gutierrez. Hi, this is Harry Kuehl. And, and you're listening news. to The Score.
2: Hello and welcome along to The Score here on Lisburn's 98FM and Banger FM with me, Michael Clark. Yes, we are looking back over the best bits of the second half of the season here on the programme today, as it is our final episode of this series. Oh, yes, but don't feel too worried about it. We'll be back before you know it. So what are we doing? Well, let me tell you, we're looking through the best bits from January through to May. Funny moments, favourite interviews, and personal highlights. It's all coming up right here. On the score.
3: The score with Michael Clark.
2: So let's kick off the programme with a brilliant story, shall we? And winners. Winners, there's always winners in a league. And uh, this year's league champions were Linfield, but in the Irish Cup and the County Antrim Shield, Crusaders were victorious. And Sean O'Neill, word would have it, gave away his County Antrim Shield winner's medal. When he was on
4: the programme, I began by asking him if it was true or not. I did. Um, it was a wee lad's birthday. His dad had, was taking a picture with me and his dad said, this is his birthday today and just thought it would be a nice touch if he... Do you regret it now? No, because <laughs> I've already got <laughs> one. Were <laughs> you back here? Did um, I say you could keep them? that? up the <laughs> I am take a picture with it, I meant. Um, no... I'd already had one. I'm not one for keeping all my medals out or anything. I just want the full collection. As long as I yeah. get the full collection, then then I'd be happy.
2: No, oh, it's a very nice gesture. All joking aside, very nice gesture, and I'm sure it really made the wee fellow's birthday um, brilliant. Talking about your teammates, then um, we, oh, know we we go. here we go. <laughs> um, I was surprised to find out that when you were talking about the worst finishers, you actually <laughs> <laughs> named Jordan Owens.
4: I did indeed he's absolutely horrendous he does the same thing every week I don't know how I don't know how he scores goals I just look at goalkeepers and go oh, come on read that man um, no as he's Jordan's better with his head basically because it's, it's absolutely huge like so
2: <laughs> this is where the thick skin in the dressing room comes in he does score an awful lot with his head but he he has been Pivotal in Crusader success, hasn't he? I mean, he, he always seems to find a way to go.
4: He does. No, he, he is. He's the main focal point for us. Um, you know, people obviously have give us grief about we're a long ball team and this and that. Um, it goes into Jordan at sticks. That's one thing. He gets us up the pitch as well. His work rate is fantastic. Defending corners, defending free kicks. You want him in there because he heads everything. Um, so, yeah, he's a real top class player, absolute cruise legend. Um, he the goal. He scored for the club. He is the record goal scorer now. So um, no, he's just a real brilliant fella as well.
2: People always ask why he's called Chicken. What can you tell them?
4: I'd probably say he's probably run away from a few fights for it because <laughs> he's a bit of a <laughs> bit of a chicken himself. But I don't know. He's just a big gentle giant. I mean, you, sometimes I watch the highlights back on a Saturday night and and I see him being angry and I'm going, "It's not the that's not big chicken." and I know, you know, he's a big gentle giant. Um, but yeah, no. He loves that celebration It's absolutely terrible as well People just need to tell him To knock on the head
2: What came first The nickname or the dance I guess you could call it
4: Probably the dance yeah. Yeah, I'd say he was doing the dance And then he got chicken from it I don't yes. know I really don't know
2: <laughs> It it probably could do With a bit of work Considering he scored That many <laughs> goals You're thinking Maybe you know try something else No Crouchy has a robot And stuff uh, But you know uh, no. even
4: the robot would be better for Jordan to be honest That's absolutely horrendous I'd,
2: I'd like to see that before the end <laughs> of the season you know if he, if he scores in the Irish Cup um, in the one or two potential games you have remaining in it maybe get a wee robot dance out there
4: I don't know because he he can't move his feet when he's dancing he's <laughs> probably the worst dancer in the team as well to be honest you reckon yeah no 100% he would be the, the worst dancer in the team I've seen his moves a few times and they're, they're not good
2: you see when everyone talks about oh long ball team do you sit there quietly and go no one's complimenting my kicking <laughs>
4: <laughs> I do it's um,
2: no no But I just think... I mean, if if people are talking about long balls leading to goals, well, then someone has to be distributing those passes. Exactly,
4: yeah. And usually we do build from from me as well at times. But um, to be fair, he he wins. The amount of ball Jordan Owens wins and knocks down to our boys, and then we just play in the right areas. It's as simple as that. People give us, um, you know, chip about being... A long ball team. We're actually not. We do. We just play in the right areas. When we get the ball down and play in the final third, we're we're bat, you know as good as anyone.
2: I always find it um, a really strange argument because if it was long balls that weren't leading to goals and you weren't picking up points, okay, understand yeah. it. But if you're winning a game with whatever people are perceiving to be that tactic, oh, why can't you stop it? If it's so simple, if it's so rubbish, yeah. Why can't teams stop it?
4: Exactly, and. Um, but I think it's the personnel, to be fair. I do believe it's the personnel because um, we have, whenever we've lost Jordan, we've we've went to just playing out from the back and trying to get it in the feet and um, we've probably haven't been our, at our best. We we are at our best when Jordan Owens is our vocal point in our team and there's, there's no doubt about that. When you've got Heatley and, um, you know, when I was white last year, this year, obviously Cushley's come in and, and been fantastic. So when you've got them boys coming off and you know, things go well for you.
2: And you you know you talk about personalities and stuff. Um, there's not very many shy players in that dressing room <laughs> at all, is there? You know, even a, a diminutive figure like Paul Heatley, you'll you'll never go Saturday without hearing what he thinks.
4: No, no, for sure. Um, Paul's a character as well. <laughs> but you have to be at that that in this Crusaders changing room. I mean, we do have a couple of couple of shy lads, but you know, we try and get the out of their shell as soon as possible. I know. Um, Rodney Brown went away to Europe and I don't think I'd ever heard Rodney speak in the two <laughs> years he'd been there, or the year he'd been there, and um brought him away to Europe and he's just got a few drinks in him and he's, he's an absolutely changed man now Eye opener.
2: <laughs>
4: eye opener, hundred percent eye opener.
2: <laughs> Do you remember when you walked into your first Crusaders dressing room? I mean, what was it like for you then? You know, was back when you were the outsider, was it a was it a scary sort of experience? Was it a boisterous room then?
4: It was and um, I always remember Ram McCann and, and Davey Rainey, I came in with a new pair of Puma trainers thinking these were, these Puma trainers were brilliant, went out and trained, came back in and there was triangles cut in them, um, <laughs> I cut triangles all all through the shoe, at the time I was raging but you la- you have to laugh at all, <laughs> you, you laugh it off so the boys don't think you're a bit of a head case That's amazing, so what do you do then? I've, I've actually just kept that going the whole. <laughs> okay, never new boys now. Nah. No, just a few cut a few boxers, couple of bit of deep eating the boxers. Now a game for the new boys. It's always a, a good one. You know, it's, a, it's a it's a boisterous. By, by uh, the way,
2: for for any for anyone that hasn't had that done to them before, it's really not pleasant. <laughs> I've been on the wrong end of that.
4: No, I have myself, and it's not it's not nice at all. Um, but it just gets it's it a. Uh, I was going to say there. It's a boisterous change room, but yeah. it, it's one with, with good good characters in it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's all about the intention, isn't it? If it's if it's done with a bit of fun, and you, you kind of know when to ease off, or you know how people are yeah. taking it. It's you know, you're not picking on a person as such. No,
4: no, hundred percent. It, once you know that it's <laughs> it's done, that's it. They're in, and as long as we hear a wee song maybe after it as well, we're all right.
2: Oh, so is is that part of the initiation? Oh yeah, no. There's
4: an initiation. There is another initiation, um, but I can't. Tell you that on camera. <laughs> <laughs> on
2: um, we'll leave that to the imagination. Yeah, What's yeah. the one you can tell us about?
4: Yeah, you know, we always ask for a song. There's been a couple of absolutely terrible songs throughout the years. I remember, can remember Johan Lacroix sang a French, some French number for us all. It was horrendous.
2: Do you at least get to pick your song or are you. Oh, no, you get the,
4: you get to pick your song, but the problem is what we do is we do it in, in Europe. So um, we do a, all the new players are in, and it's we cut a deck of cards the lowest card then is going to sing but we decide where you sing so we've had a few oh. people sing on the plane on planes over over the Tanoian <laughs> planes we've had people sing in airports with, at the 7 o'clock in the morning when they're absolutely bunged um, just yeah we've had a few oh, few awesome. strange places that they sing a couple of bars obviously and um, which are, you're all right. Then. Yeah, so you're, you're kind of going a few things. drinks in you. Yeah, yeah. yeah you a few drinks in you. So you're,
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, what was the song you had to sing? Do you remember?
4: I think I sang some Westlife number. I think I, yeah. Flying Without Wings or something. And but did you need the lyrics or did you know? No, them? no. I was off my heart. I was not, <laughs> no, That's my ringtone, lads. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no. I think I had a full album covered for it. <laughs> <laughs> my initiation.
2: See, I have to say, I do enjoy that sort of stuff and it, it, it has to help. Um, everybody, because you've got then these great stories and you can share them for years to come. And it's often what I think people who never at any level, it doesn't matter, ha- were part of a team,
4: you miss out on. You do. And I think that's when, see, when people come in and hear about people retiring and they miss the game, I actually think they miss the changing room more. Um, the camaraderie in a changing room and the, the banter in a changing room is, is top class. And I'm sure it is for all Irish League clubs and not even just Irish League. Any change room you go into in sport is, is always that way. So, yeah, I think it's the change room helps a lot.
2: The importance of having a good changing room around you. Sean O'Neill speaking earlier this year on the programme. Now, football is full of highs and lows. And when the going gets tough, does Darren Mullen get going? Well, I asked the Newry manager how he copes with pressure.
5: I take myself to Lanzarote <laughs> for a few days. That's, that's what I did. But, uh, yeah, look, it's... it's that's where you, you need to be, be mentally tough. You know, in management. That's one thing I've I've learned as well. You know, you also need thick skin and a sense of humor. Um, you know, if you haven't got a sense of humor, on it, you're, you're, you know, you're sniggered. I I don't take myself too seriously, but I take my, my football very seriously. And and thankfully, I've, I've good people around me in terms of the coaching staff and my family as well. You know, they understand the amount of effort that, that I've put in and they've made sacrifices on on my behalf. Um, but it's it's one of those ones you know if if I didn't love it I wouldn't do it.
2: I was going to say, are you in, are you a nightmare then? Come tea time on a Saturday, if you haven't got a positive result, you, is it just like let like, give him a wide berth and we'll, we'll see him in the morning, or what? Or are you not too bad? No,
5: look, it, it's 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 that's one thing about the, the the management that that I found out this year. I probably beat myself up way too much this year. Um, you know, and there's only so much I can control. Um, You know, I'll be the first to take responsibility. I'm not one that's come out and hammering the players. I don't think that's productive. You know, the odd times, fair enough. But um, you have to be able to lift your mood pretty quick. You know, should that be that evening or the next morning, you know, to get back at it? Because if I'm walking about with my head down, you know, it's no good should it be at home or even at the football ground. But um, you have to have that part of your life you where you put it to one side. You know, it's always in the back of your head. Any manager will tell you it's constantly there. You know, it may be away for a while. You be watching a film or reading a book, but it's always there. But you have to have that time away from football to, to cool your head for a while because, yeah, with football management, certainly wouldn't be recommended for your health.
2: <laughs> no, I would imagine not. Um, when it comes to high points, just how high in, in your list of achievements was promotion in the way that you did it? Um, At Taylor's Avenue winning, well, you won both legs, but confirming promotion to the Premiership how high does that rank in things you've done
5: so far? Yeah, so that yeah, would be the highest. I remember watching Warren Point celebrations when they beat Donegal Celtic to get back to the, to the Premiership, and that was always my goal when I took over the manager of the club. Even back back in in Ulster, my dream was being on on the pitch, being interviewed, going back to the Premiership. You know, and and I always when had you had stuck
2: had, with me. Sorry yeah,
5: about I, that. I wouldn't I wouldn't have cared who who interviewed <laughs> me at the time as long as we won. But that that was something that I, that I, I had in my head, and I think. You need to have a goal, should, should it be a manager or, or whatever you have in your life, to have that image in your head and be willing to work hard to get to, to that point. And our progress through the ranks was unbelievable. And that night in Carrick will, you know, will live with me and, and hundreds of dollars from Uri for a long, long time. We
2: were just chatting before we came on air about it. And, you know, from my recollection, it was the whistle had just about blown. And all of a sudden, people with their Uri City flags bursting onto the pitch and people hugging and dancing and cr- grown men crying their eyes out and everything. It was it was incredible to witness as a neutral. Um, what on earth was going through your mind at the time? Because I'm sure they were all charging at you.
5: I think it was about maybe two or three minutes before um, the end of the game where I'd, I'd turn into Rainbow Burns and I'd just say, oh, I think we've done it at this stage. Because I would never let myself get carried away. You know, I'd be cautious enough. It's only when, when you know, you've actually achieved it that you'd let yourself go a wee bit but it was just with a couple of minutes to go like we were well well in front of I thought we'd done this and to see the fans run on to, onto the pitch because I have that family link if you like with, with the club you know my grandfather was a season ticket holder from the 60s, my uncles played for it I have my brother and my cousin played for the team my uncles on the coach staff, my cousins the club doctor, you know so it's I have that family connection with the club and, and I was pleased I was pleased for them because my family was down watching it and the same with all the players and the committee and everything just to see the joy on their faces you know it was it was terrific and as I say yeah, it, it, it's, it's a memory that will live long
2: and what struck me as well is you know on, a, on an amateur basis you know those players they're not getting a few quid in their pocket to, to play as well that was just sheer
5: commitment it was you know and I said it a couple of times that night we went down to the Carrick and Mickey Keenan had been collecting the subs on, on the bus and the way down. People, you know, were a wee bit sceptical, but that's that's exactly what what did happen, you know, and that that makes the achievement even that more remarkable. Um, what, what we had done, and even last summer, you know, we didn't have a club accountant. Um, you know, we had never signed anybody on a professional form, so that was all all new to us. We weren't set up, if feel like, for the Premiership. So, um, to do it in the manner that we did. Um, yeah, it was. It, it it's a credit to to the players involved.
2: And I would imagine the celebrations were a thing of legend.
5: Yeah, they were. Um, <laughs> I think our our performance on on UTV, I think we'll get down and <laughs> get down and legend. There were a few shapes on it. All right, it was one of those ones where I had agreed with, with Ruth Gorman you know, to come out and 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 videos in, in trainers bar out right, in Camlough and. My wife had said to me, oh, sure, my lawyer said, I don't think this is a good idea. <laughs> and I remember walking into the Turner's bar and it was Darren Noonan was lying sleeping in the corner and <laughs> a couple of lads were out the back rolling down a bank and whatever. But look, I, I think there are too many times people don't concentrate enough on, on, on the good teams in football because it can turn very quick. You know, as this year has seen, it's been difficult for us. So it, it's right. I would certainly recommend it to anybody. When you're doing well, enjoy the celebrations because, you know, they don't always last.
2: Words of wisdom from the Newry City boss, Darren Mullen, And we will miss Newry from the Danske Bank Premiership next season. There is no question about that. A team, however, who will be in the top flight is Carrick Rangers. And Aaron Hogg, well, he certainly impressed in the championship. But he impressed our listeners with a story about how Carrick found extra motivation.
6: Cliffy brought a, a fellow from Balamina down that was in the army um, and he gave us kind of like a team uh, like a talk about things that had gone on in the army and things that had gone on in his life and adversity he had come through and he was an Afghan and he was a, a squadron leader and he lost his leg and he, he, wow. he told us about how he, he was he was a squad leader at 20 years of age in the army. Now, that's real life stuff, I'm not talk about football, but he came down and gave us a talk and he gave us tools that he used when he was a leader. And I think he came down and gave us that talk on, on the Thursday, and we went to Ballinamallard on the Saturday. And Ballinamallard went 1 0 up, and we came back and went 2 1, and that was the first time we'd done anything all seen. And I think with that, and I think with young players, once young players do something, they get the confidence that they can do it over and over and over again, and you just kind of build up a rhythm it mean, carried on.
2: Wow, um, that must have been some experience. Fair play to Clifford Adams, because thinking outside the box yeah, a bit, but it, but it clearly worked.
6: Yeah, it wasn't having to do with football. It was just a falcon down to talk. It was great. It was really inspirational just to hear somebody. Not that compared to the compare football, it just somebody in real life that has come through everything and went on to do so much that he wanted It was great. And then obviously that happened. So fair play, to Clifford.
3: I know at my own club, The Stuller, you in a psychologist from time to time, mm-hmm. and it's amazing the way those guys talk, and they really do sort of open your eyes to things you hadn't really, really thought about on a football contest.
6: Yeah, that's it, I mean, if people think about football and just think it's just about playing football, and football is more mental than that, mm-hmm. you know I mean, if you get out with the right state of mind, you get out confident, and you get out, you know exactly what you're going to do, you're going to perform well.
3: And obviously you've mentioned there, obviously Niall's influence in terms of the team, uh, obviously he's achieved promotion again, and he keeps doing this, to be honest, and yeah. and, he must have been a massive big influence in terms of you know in terms of the team. You must have a lot of respect for
6: him. Oh yeah, he's prolific in the championship and uh, <laughs> he keeps telling me how many times we've been with eight promotions under five <laughs> leagues. I don't know. He keeps going on about his medals. Um But no, now's great. Um, now brought me the um when I left Glenfern, and he just puts faith in you. He just had, uh, for me personally, he just he, he trusts me and he has confidence in me. And as a player, that's all you want. If you know that your manager has faith and you, you want to play every single week, and he knows. He doesn't need to say too much to me because I know what he's feeling. he's a goalkeeper himself too, so no, now's great, and so, now's a great man manager. He knows the people that he needs to, to go and give a hug around. likes the younger players that need to g up the other people that <laughs> need to go kick up the backside at times as well too. So no it wouldn't be so much of a hands-on coach, but he's a really good man manager and gets the best out of the players that he has.
3: He commented much on obviously beating his two former clubs to get there.
6: Oh, he was. I mean, <laughs> th- I think the playoff form was. Uh, I think we beat Portadown three times or four times, including the playoff and drew once. So I think we had the, the hoodie of them yeah, this year. Side, you know yeah. what I mean? But yeah. no, th- I think the playoff form was was super sweet form. So especially living there, you know what I mean? I'm sure, he takes <laughs> a lot of stick up there. <laughs> Probably.
2: That's where he, I think, Niall uh, draws a lot of his motivation from as well, doesn't he? He, he likes to kind of bottle all the negativity yeah. and kind of go right.
6: Here we go, and he fuels himself with it. That's it, Do you know. And especially even the start of the year, Tundalli beat us five nil um, at home. It was a bad, bad day, and there was no panic from that. Do you know what I mean? There was no panic from that. He just sat us all down and he says, "I'll fix it," and he had faith in his own ability that he was going to fix it. And fair play to him, he went and got the players that he did, and he, he turned the whole season around. How are
2: you finding it being uh, one of the more experienced heads in a, a dressing room? Because that's probably a different experience for you than what you've been used to over your career so far. It
6: is, it is. It's, 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 people start to call me, actually in training, the kids are calling me a veteran. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh dear. And I'm only 31. I was going to uh, say, still uh, young. I'm, I'm still young for a goalkeeper, but no, there's, there's a couple of experienced buddies, like myself, and as I say, Mark Surgeon and Craig McMillan in there as well, sort of the three of us are over 30 club, um, <laughs> so you know what I mean, and... Yeah, it's it's, diff- it's a different role, you know what I mean? You have to give advice and you have to have a cool head, and especially in games they get there where, where young players that haven't experienced things they get will get nervous. Do you know what I mean? So it's nice being in there and just being that calm and influence and just trying to talk to players and just calm them down and talk them through it. And talk them through a game, especially give as much as a can, because I can see everything from where I am on the, on the pitch. So if I can give as much advice on the pitch as I can, I will.
2: Ah, he's a wise old head now, isn't he, Aaron Hogg? The Carrick shotstopper shot stopper will certainly be kept busy next year in the top flight of Irish League football. Now, sometimes our stories aren't quite as sensible as that. And Pat McGibbon, a brilliant man, of course, Northern Ireland international in his day, has played for Manchester United and Wigan. But when he came onto the programme, as often happens to our guests, we go off in tangents and he started talking about ducks.
7: I actually played a reserve match, it was a Goodison. I think it was probably ninety four, ninety five. Um and during the middle of the game uh, we were just we were defending a corner and all of a sudden this mallard duck just arrived and decided to go around just around the players. So it I looked around and, and nobody seemed to want to go and pick the, the, the part up. So I just, I came from the country anyway. I had plenty of the cousins all had mallard ducks and geese and all the rest. So I just went over, lifted the duck, brought it over to the side, gave it to one of the stewards and then got back in and, and defended the set piece. <laughs> but unbeknownst to me, I, was, I actually had left my U and Matt to Wigan at the time. Sat down with Burned up my wife, watching TV. We were watching um, Question of Sport. And all of a sudden, there was a what happened next. Uh (laughs) And I was sat and all of a sudden this match comes on on, and I was like, that's a reserve match. That's man you against Everton. And it ended up, it happened. What happened next was the Mallard duck landing and me lifting it off. So I still don't, (laughs) I'd never videoed it. I'd love to get that piece of archive from them. Oh, wow. Because it's it's something there that um, I never knew was going to happen. I never knew it was videoed. But I can say that it was on question of sport, on the what happened next?
2: <laughs> That's amazing. If anyone Fantastic. has, if anyone has a wee clip of that, uh, get it into our Facebook page and we'll forward that on. You never know who has things, and you you had to sit there and say to your wife, "Look, I I wouldn't often pick up birds in England, so it's complete rarity for me." Fantastic, very very good, um, Pat. We've you, know, you could never cover your career, you'd never do it justice in an hour. Um, But let's make sure we talk about uh, representing Northern Ireland. Um, To pull on that jersey once is amazing. To do it numerous times, uh, that must be really special to you.
7: Yeah, I mean, when I first went into the squad, I was still, I think it was about 2021. And I was playing against Blackpool, I think, originally for Man United's reserve team. And Billy Bingham was at at the match. So I, I was deemed to have done well enough they've got brought into the squad so I was involved with, with Billy's, you know, they, with that squad with Billy Bingham quite a few times and they, they had a terrific bunch, you know they had obviously the old, the old brigade like Mal Donaghy, Nigel Worthington Jimmy Quinn and it, it was great just to, to, to rub shoulders with those and, and train with those those lads, then afterwards you know, there were various managers came in and, and it was Brian Hamilton that brought me well, that, that I got my first cap under uh, on the tour over in Canada and then played my first, you know, competitive match against Latvia. So, you know, to, to, to pull the jersey on once w- was great, you know, to pull it on and get seven international caps. I know there's people that have had more, but, you know, everyone was an honour.
2: Well, the majority of people have had less, and remember that as well. <laughs> yes. You know, that's uh, it's, yeah. an, it's an amazing thing to be able to do. Um, must have been some real
7: characters in and around those squads as well. Yeah, there were. You know, the, the, there was there was it was a stage of transition, especially after Billy Bingham's tenure, because you know that that squad that he had f- for a long time had obviously did so well. Um so there was some, some barring times as well, but you know, there were again there were some big characters, you know, I was involved obviously when Neil was involved, Jerry Taggart, you know, Jim Majelton, Michael O'Neill, who Michael ended up becoming, you know, a teammate of mine at Wigan as well. So a lot of big characters. Ian Darry, who I have to say, was, a, was a, you know, for a younger player in that squad, um to have did he ever look young? No, I'm saying when I was young, (laughs) when I was young as a player, um, Ian Dye, who was one of the more experienced, was terrific to to lean on. Um, And, you know, he was a real good fella. Ian Dye.
2: Yeah, it actually strikes me, I didn't even realise the amount of people you've played with that have gone on to be managers at different
7: levels, some incredibly successful. Yeah, I mean, the the, the one that, um, you know, certainly with Manchester United in particular, I think, again, that goes back to the whole characters and and characteristics of leaders. Um, So with the successful times, with the enjoyable times, with the group that they were in, I think that whole love of the game then... um, Means that you want to continue within the game, so a lot of them then went into into management, as you, as you say, like the likes of Roberto Martinez, like Robbies you know, went on and man, managed Belgium, could very easily have won the World Cup, you know, with with Belgium, so um, it, it's terrific to know to know those lads.
2: Yeah, some quacker stories from Pat McGibbon. Boom boom. I. Remind you that we do sometimes go off on tangents and Gareth Thomas, well, he had some great stories. This one was sent in by a teammate. I had to laugh because um, obviously in anticipation of you coming in today, uh, we, we asked about questions and people asking uh, questions for you. And, and Johnny Fraser, even though we've you know, mentioned the fact that he's out in Australia having the time of his life um, before, he still found time to send loads in. Uh, and he, he asked, do you like limavady? I think we've answered that <laughs> one already. He also says, ask how many
1: times does he say sir in a day? Uh, I think the more angry I get, the more of my accent comes at me. Culty accent as <laughs> Belfast ones called. Yeah. Um. There was actually a game. I think we were playing Balna Mallard. Uh. Shane McGinty is he used to play for Mallard Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got in a tussle, and I think I was getting the better of him, but he decided <laughs> to rip my shorts nearly off my legs. Um. I thought my shorts were actually going to come off my legs and I just turned around and sh- sh- shouted at him get off my shorts sir in, in front of, <laughs> oh, uh, no. and that was like that was Johnny Fraser then as soon as he hears <laughs> that that's it forever <laughs> From now on
2: when you're at an arts game when you see Gareth Thomas I would like you to shout get off my shorts sir in your best possible accent very very funny stuff and uh, you might not be able to live that down I think Uh, his manager Warren Feeney was one of our great guests on the show this season Uh, a lot of people interested in his international career and his management style and all sorts of things we even talked his time at Linfield but uh, something he doesn't talk publicly about quite so much is his family and I thought that would be a good place to start I want to kind of go right back because you are from a footballing family. It's fair to say you just have to look at your granddad and everything he achieved, your father as well, and even your cousin's a footballer. I mean, my goodness, is there anyone in your family that can't kick a football? Uh, probably only
8: the only the women. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, listen. Probably my sister had all the brains at school. You know, she she went on to be a, a lawyer for a company over here, and I used to come in throw my bag up the corridor. Say, Lindsay, here's my homework, and you do it? And was straight out, <laughs> straight out in the, on the street playing football. And, and I probably, I think, with the way the day's gone with kids, you don't see enough of it. They're all on their iPads, on, and even my son's at, at Exeter. But I tell them to get out. You know, And th- the best way I learned, I had no pressure on my father, was against the wall myself. Just keep practising your touch, your touch, your touch. And um, as I say, yeah, with a big footballing family, obviously my granddad, you know, he played for all Ireland. My got his one, or my father got his one cap, uh, and obviously I went on to to have a successful career in Northern Ireland. But also, my two cousins and my uncle were, you know, very good Irish League players as well.
2: That uh, it just it's almost unheard of because you, when you look at most footballers, you kind of go, "Oh yeah, the, the brother who like played non-league for a season and then it kind of vanished." Um, whereas you go through the family and there's this massive line. Um, just in that you said, no pressure from your dad. Um, pressure from other people though maybe at times yeah,
8: probably but I'm not a believer in you know and this is I get into the the the, the way the FA want to play with kids you know you be strong with kids I'm not into this yes play with smile on your face but you've got to win because I learned quickly that if you're in that changing room and yes you're all mates but him beside you wants to be better than you and look you know, you'll have coaches putting pressure on kids, but you've got to enjoy it. I say that football's your best friend in that back garden. No matter what, you've got to believe you. you've got to go and be the best player in the, tra- in the training ground, the best player in the playground and you go in school. And, you know, my dad, he told me when I was wrong, but he took that step back and says, go and learn it yourself. And I think, you know, you just got to look at the players that went across from here to England. They were back after 18. And it's difficult because, you know, them kids are training every day but you've just got to be have that desire and hunger and to be the best and as I say you, you've, you've got to build that inside you and I'm a big believer in that I remember an under 12 cup final where we lost and the manager runners after the game and you know probably you say that nowadays and we're going oh it's this but it made us what we were Yeah. you know yeah. Um, and as I say I think that's what you, you've got to have now to, to be successful.
2: I find that fantastic that your dad was able to take that step back because we do these stories all the time and people talk about, you know, pushy parents and, you know, living vicariously through your child and screaming at refs and dragging you here, there and everywhere to train. If your heart isn't in it, it doesn't matter how much the the mum or the dad screams, it's not going to really work.
8: No, definitely. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big against when parents go to games and they shout at their kids. You know, you've got coaches in there You've got to back the coaches up 100%, or else take your kid out of it. I don't have it, and as I say, down at down at Exeter, um, it's run by a local boy from here, actually Wayne Carlisle, yep. and Wayne's absolutely adamant from day one when they come in, and they're probably the, one of the most successful academies in England where the kids have went through. But he makes it clear, he says, do not get involved, your kids out, and I think it's a big thing because I've been to games over here, and I, and I love when I was at Linfield. U- I just don't get why parents, you know, the parents, do they listen to the coach? Do they listen to their mum dad? They're scared to make a mistake. And you can't, you've got to let the kids believe in the coaches and let the kids go and enjoy it. And the only one time probably, I tell it, I was with my dad when I was, uh, I was going to Chelsea, I think, as a kid and I was at the airport. And I got homesick as a kid. But I remember my dad saying to me, if you don't get on that plane, I'll put my boot up your backside. <laughs> and it's still the best thing ever happened to me because it still sticks in my mind. That's you know? brilliant. What age is your son? My son's 11. 11? Yeah. And he's at Exeter? He's at Exeter now, yeah. How
2: are you finding that as a father? Because you've been I, through it as a player, yeah. but it's different as a dad, isn't it,
8: it? It's funny because he was at Plymouth, and Plymouth said to him he's too aggressive in his review. But look, I didn't get involved. I stepped away from it let his mum do it.
2: I'm going to step away from that obvious joke that there's there but
8: well. I'm going, Where does he get it from? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going, uh, surely you want to be aggressive in the football as a kid at that age? But the funny thing was, Exeter watched him in a game, and he was playing right back. But he, like the, the the put kids all over the place at that age, yeah. but he likes playing up front. But Wayne Carlyle phoned me and goes, "Fino's that you're kidding?" I said, and I didn't even know it was Wayne. He was over there with a hat on. I said, "Yeah," and he says, "We like him." He said, "Gets in." I'm saying that's your Northern Irish mentality coming out you now, Wayne. <laughs> but uh so they phoned up Plymouth. Plymouth wanted £3, 000, six thousand pounds because he was with Plymouth for two years as development fees with the FA, and I had to fight tooth and nail to get him out and uh, and that's 11 years of age, and it's just, it's crazy. That's an but, eye-opener. Oh, I'm frightening, but I don't get involved. I sit, you'll see me, Katie will go down and sit with the parents, I'll be behind the goal with an umbrella with we'll a hood up, well out of the road, just don't get involved in it.
2: You must get bothered by other dads, do
8: you? You go, hey, hey it's it worth and You're like, some, oh, no. Some will always come and ask you about your opinions, and your. but I'm not there to talk about that, you know what I mean? I'll speak to them, but you know, you are ought to watch your son, It's and it's a least for me, you know, I love walking with my dog after, after games, if I'd lost one, I used to take my dog, he was my best mate, I used to walk, walk and talk there, or else go and watch my son this Sunday, and just switching off totally. Now,
2: I know you've got a, a new love in your life, a new dog, and this is, <laughs> this is what actually, we were having a chat beforehand, and this is what hurts him, being in Northern Ireland, he misses <laughs> his new doggy,
8: tell us more. Oh, don't, you know, obviously, I've got a couple of dogs, but my, my kids just to miss my wife, but. It took me four years to get this dog and um, it's only, what, four and a half months and obviously I got this job and I miss this thing more than anything because, you know, it used to come with me, it used to walk with me and they're very, it listens to one person more or less <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it broke, it's, it's breaking my heart to be honest. Right, tell me about the breed of a, a Belgian, what is it again? It's a Belgian Malinois. it's oh. one of the, um, it's the dog's security forces have it look like the Alsatian, but they're not, yeah. but they're very, very hard work. How Very do we, hard work.
2: How do we Google a picture a minute ago, Colin? And they're they're fantastic looking dogs. Okay, <laughs> fair enough.
8: Hmm. And you fantastic. know, I'm, I was hoping it was here for protection for tomorrow with the Oval.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you might need it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he didn't need it, Colin. Honestly, uh, Warren Feeney was only joking, but uh, never short of uh, a little joker too, is he a bit of a wind-up merchant or Warren uh, speaking of families which is where that interview started Michael Hughes had a great story about his own mum
0: she was uh, got very excited <laughs> very excited it Was she would shout and scream and bawl her not, not so much my dad he would probably just go and stand over the other side of the pitch to be honest <laughs> I know but she, was, she just got herself, even at Northern Ireland matches you know, the, she would be screaming and bawling and, you know, that level it's, I don't know my dad actually wouldn't go. He used to go and sit over the arse. He got tickets to go and sit on the opposite side of the stadium. He wouldn't <laughs> sit inside, my mum. And I remember because we Mick, Michael and Neil and I went to the same same school, same St. Louis and Balamina, and played in the same team. And uh, <laughs> we were playing one game. <laughs> and this boy tackled, he tackled me. It was like, a yeah, fair tackle. It's football. You know, you're going to get your hard tackles and whatever. So he tackled me. He got the ball, but he caught me in the ankle at the same time. And unfortunately for him, he was kind of. Beside my mum, she was in the sidelines. She had it was raining. She had this umbrella like this, like kind of wrapped up umbrella. And she goes, whoosh, <laughs> hits me a tap across the head and says, "Don't you tackle my?" So I was like, "Oh no!" And Mike <sighs> day, he's never let me forget that. He's called her a football halogen <laughs> to this day. You know, that's so, class. You need the support. There's take, no doubt about it. I enjoyed having the support. You know, you need it, and I felt good having the support. But you know, these there's levels of support yeah. Yeah. You want. Michael's
2: mum's brought her brawly again where, <laughs> can I play on the other side <laughs> she's actually out there, out there waiting for her to come in here <laughs> there you go the football hooligan poor mum with that story a very funny stuff from Michael Hughes and something people forget about but he credits it as being an important part of his career is that in the early 90s Michael Hughes went out to Strasbourg to play and as you might imagine it was a bit of a culture shock for him and Maybe as well for some of his Northern Ireland teammates when he came back, but we'll get on to that first.
0: Parlez-vous français? Yeah, obviously not speaking any language, not being able to communicate with anybody. You were, yeah. You know, and the first day we went to training, I was sat in the car with three French lads, and and I was in the back seat, and there was one boy beside me, and there were two in the front, and they were just talking, chatting away in French, and. It suited me because I didn't really want to speak, to be honest. So I was happy enough just to sit there. Yeah, bonjour, lads. <laughs> I was about it, Yeah. And then we went. We went to training, and training was it was basically call it trotting in France, which is basically jogging, and that's all we did for the first week. Jogging. We went in the mornings, and we jogged for three miles around the forest, and then in the afternoon we went and jogged around the forest for three miles. And I was thinking, what is going on here? This was supposed to be a football club, wasn't it? It was pre-season, but I, the pre-seasons we were used to was you were, you were on your knees after ten minutes, gasping for 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 air. These guys were doing it a completely different way, and uh, it was it was boring. But the more you get into it, the more you realise there's a method to this. You know, it's not about running you into the ground. These guys are are working you in a completely different different way, and that kind of got me hooked. It was like, wow, this is different. I've never done this before, I want to get more of this. And I stayed there for five weeks. Uh, and did the pre season and then eventually they brought they brought the ball into. Now you, know, you had players like Frank LaBeouf and Mark Keller and all those guys were there at that time, you know. There was good players at Strasbourg. And I thought I was a good player. You know, I thought you know, I'm a good player, you know, I'm technically pretty good and you know, and that's what I thought. And when the balls came out after the first training session, you could tell what's this guy doing here. I was so far off it technically compared to what they were doing; it was just a laugh. And they didn't want me in the team. You know, you could tell well, we have to have him now. You know, it's like the old playground one where you were yeah. last pick, and uh, <laughs> they were doing one touch. We they would set up. The, they would set the the, the the teams up. It would be eight aside in in one half, two goals, two goalkeepers, and it was one touch. I'm thinking, one touch, what's this all about? You know, when the ball was going bum 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 boom, 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 boom and they were popping the ball about each other all over the place. It would come to me, I, I would break down, you know. But I started to pick it up, started to get up to the rhythm of it, started to find my, f- my feet. Now, the one thing the manager did say then, back then, was you're physically stronger, even though I'm a small person. He said, you're physically stronger than these French guys, you know, because they weren't used to playing at the tempo that we had been playing at in England they played at a much slower tempo, but when the time was right, it was, it was slow, slow, bump fast, Yeah, you know. And that's basically, at the start, what they liked about me. They liked the physical side of me, the fact that I could get around the pitch, the fact that I was fit, the fact that I would put in tackles that were like, oh! you know, yeah. the French guy, still fair, but still them, they weren't used to seeing that physical side of it. So that's what got me through the first four or five weeks. But then the technical side started to come slowly, slowly, slowly. And the time I finished coming came back, I was at least 30 to 40% better footballer for going out there and i'm so glad i did it uh
2: it's uh how's your french that's great fluent
0: fluent now yeah are you yes yeah we actually were in France there uh seeing our our middle boy he's he's eight, 18 he was out in Lyon and work experience there so we've been out to see him for a few days and spoken french for maybe well at least three or four years at least fluently and it was a real struggle at the start but it came back really really quickly and uh, See, like,
2: just just in case anyone's picking you up wrong going say, anti-social boy just sat in the back typical Northern Ireland doesn't want to learn Ireland <laughs> no not at all you know initially you've the culture shock but then you have to immerse yourself
0: you have to there's no two ways about it you know if you don't learn the language and it was, and you know what even even that was ice breaking at times because the coach always used to I wouldn't say pick on me he didn't pick yeah. on me you know because don't forget I was still young back then I was the youngest in the team I was 19 and after matches, if we'd lost, we used to come in, in, a, in a, on a on a on a Sunday morning for, they called it, decressage, which was a warm-down. It was not, it was nothing. It was ten laps of the pitch. You jog around the pitch and you had a stretch and a massage or whatever. And then the manager would kind of talk through the, the football. And he always had something to say to me. And was one day, <laughs> we'd get beat 2-0. I think we'd played Nant away or something like that there. And he, I didn't know what he was saying. But apparently he says mikhail unless you get better than what you are i'm putting you on the boat back to northern ireland you know so this everyone was laughing and uproar at this so at times he would use you're like def- you
2: said boat there what was that boat
0: and, <laughs> and i like, obviously didn't going know on what was boat, saying, lads. but I, I knew he was saying something uh, derogatory i knew he was because everybody was laughing but it didn't bother me because it, you know you still felt accepted and part of it because they were wasn't having a joke at your expense but they were they were using you to lighten a situation if you like, you know, and and at the same time I didn't understand it then. At the same time he the coach was giving me a bye ball, you because know, it took me a little while to settle. There's no I have to say the first year was almost a write off the second season I finished top scorer for Strasbourg. And uh probably went from the fans thinking, Who is this guy? Why have we signed him to Well now we can sort of see why we signed him so I was glad I was glad when I left him, at least it seemed the best of me.
2: See, 'cause I, I think on it, um you know People, when I think of I stopped and said, Right, Michael Hughes, what you know, five things you, th- you know or remember about Michael Hughes, or how do you sum up his career? People probably don't think Strasbourg, but I, I just from talking to you, I feel like it's a really formative part of who you were to become and what you were to achieve for sure.
0: And there, there's no doubt about it, no doubt about it, Michael. And what I found quite bizarre was, you know, I, I, I came from an era of what you might call culture in the English game and not the right kind of culture you know uh, probably living the wrong way and doing the wrong things but that's what you were that's what you grew up in so you don't know anything other than that and we used to call it bonding back then you know you went out and you had a few jars with the boys and that was your bonding session and that could have been after training and sometimes it depends, if you were drinking six or seven pints of Guinness or something like that there you know it was you know, you can look at that and say, oh, you know, it wasn't the right way to do things, but at the same time, you know, if you were drinking Guinness, it wasn't too bad because the advice back then was drink Guinness and eat steak sometimes to build yourself up. So you yeah. thought, well, at least I'm doing the right thing here. In France, it was a totally opposite. From day one when I got there, they were saying, what's your diet? What do you do? Take blood tests. You're low on vitamin D, you're low on vitamin C. Next day, tablets were arrived. It was all about the machine that you are. You know, if your machine, your body isn't 100% Top shape and ready to go, you're no good to us. And you're actually letting yourself and your teammates down. So in terms of from a professional, it's gonna sound bizarre to say this going from almost a Premier League team in England to go to a Premier League team in France, the professional side of it was night and day. And I always found that coming back to the Northern Ireland setup, you know, it was always nice to get back and meet meet up with the guys and have a a few, a few pints and whatnot. But my diet had completely changed as well. I, you know, the whole diet thing. It was over there. It was a very strict diet, which I'd bought into. And and you know, coming back, you sort of have to change every every everything again. And people are looking and saying, why is he having just white rice or brown rice on its own with a breast of chicken? And like, that's all I wanted to eat. But it was like, what's she, what's he doing <laughs> that for? You know, it was almost like you went from being accepted. Um, you're struggling to be accepted when you went to France by the French. They almost starting to live their way of life when you came home struggling to be accepted by the people back here for the things you were doing yeah it's massive yeah, I, I you know I always thought it was, was always a struggle it was always, always like a tug of war you know you couldn't do right for doing wrong sometimes but at yeah. the end of the day you just had to be strong and say well I'm only doing this for me you know, and I need to keep myself right because that's all that matters. I
2: am just picturing you arriving back going, hi, hey boys, with a, a, a posh bottle of plonk that you picked up. <laughs> and they're like, no, come on, mate, that's, that's not going down here. <laughs> not here. Not
0: here, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, no, I would not know about a posh bottle of plonk. <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. And, and it was, uh, you know, it was almost, you can talk about extremities, you know, but anything I've ever done in my life, I've always done it to the extreme. It was just it's just my nature. I've always been extreme in what I do and I can't help that. You know, and if I'm gonna do something it's like anything and know when I'm I was out of football for a year at a at a dispute in with Wimbledon and Birmingham and I didn't play football for a year, but I ended up playing internet checkers and internet drafts on the internet for a year and becoming expert world elite almost uh, internet checkers would you believe because i was playing it 18 hours a day every day i know it's not i shouldn't admit that you know that's not something you want to admit but it's just my nature i'm I'm a very hundred percent boom 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 or i won't do it you know You're
2: listening to The Best of the Score, part two, where we look at the best bits from the programme from January through to May. Some of our favourite interviews and some funny moments along the way. Still to come, we're going to hear from Niall Curry. We're going to be hearing from a referee. We're going to hear from Stevie Garrett, Tim McCann, Sam Johnston and a revelation from Whitey Anderson that shook the footballing world. Before that, though, I want to go back to Warren Feeney and discuss fines. Have you encountered any unusual finds at whatever club at whatever time? As, as, uh, As, as you you used to get
8: fined all loads, you used to get. Would you have been fined a bit? Yeah, we are fined, you. You weren't allowed, (laughs) what was the worst? You weren't allowed razor blades in the shower, and you weren't allowed to go to the toilet in the
9: shower. <laughs> okay. It was a big fan. Yeah, which sometimes fell as.
2: Yep. I'm just thinking for, you know, I don't like to generalise, but, you know, men definitely do that. Yep. I'm not saying every man does, but men definitely do that. And I, I can understand sort of hygiene reasons,
8: all those people, <laughs> people going, no. No. And that was it. And the, the big one, I was never was late for training because managers at a senior, see you later. You'd have been out of that discipline. But um, leaving, leaving cups in your table. Just little things, you know, so you've got to be... And it, it's good, but as I said, it makes you what you are. You know what I mean? It's it's discipline. Like cleaning the gyms after you finish, putting the dumbbells away. You to have cameras in them, just and then you go back in the camera. So you you, you, you had to be disciplined, yeah.
3: You've seen your first share of clubs, obviously, in your career. I think I counted ten, probably more clubs than Jack Nicholas is the <laughs> old saying. But is there any sort of one club sort of stands out? This is the, the place I felt most at home. Well, you see, the problem was when I went to Cardiff... Northern Ireland, we're in the Euros
8: then and I thought, great move. I was about to sign for Swansea. I actually drove down to Swansea, drove back, agreed everything. Cardiff rang me and says, can you come into the, pull into the car park?
3: Okay.
8: (laughs) So I went and met the manager in the car park and he says, look, we've just put a bid in for you. He says, right. I says, fine. Took them three months to get me because they kept, Luton kept um, rejecting it. But agreed personal terms in the day in Northern Ireland. We think we were flying to Liechtenstein and, and it was done in the Marriott at, or Bishop's Abbey, Abbey in England mm-hmm. so I went to Cardiff brilliant, great, needed to be playing and then obviously they signed Jimmy Hasselbeck and Robbie Fowler and I thought I wasn't going to play here, you know, two superstars but I need to play, I can't sit in the bench and pick up my money I says look I need to go here I wanted to play with Northern Ireland as well I need to be playing and he went no and I says look give it a week and he says about 6-7 clubs coming in for me then and I went, I need to go, Dave, I need to go, end of story. And then he said, right, you're going here. And I went, no, I'm not. I said, I'm going here, to Swansea. And uh, I loved my time down there with Roberto Martinez. I was only there for a bit. They tried to make it permanent, but uh, I ruptured my ankle ligaments. But they tried to to make it permanent after, but he was outstanding. And I learned a lot off John Sheridan. I mean, that chaise was brilliant. Still, still speak to chaise. But no, of it's some great managers. Craig Levine was pure fitness. None of this. Playing a Saturday, and I love Roy Keane's comments on it, it made me laugh. When he says, playing a Saturday, come in, there's boys are sitting in the gym having their cup of tea going to a warm down. We ran, and I mean ran on a Monday. And, and literally the running wasn't easy. You were you were doing 10 doggies right up to 100 metres every Monday. So you knew what was coming. Yeah, and that was after a game where you looked. I think my
2: Monday's bad when I just have to come in and get a <laughs> coffee and start work.
8: No, we ran. <laughs> and then, plus you'd have a solid Tuesday session. Which you'd have Wednesday off, but it wasn't these sit around. And as I say, I loved, but I just loved playing football. But some of the managers, they were fantastic managers. Yes, you have your ding dongs with them, but that's just the way it was. You um, know,
3: was there any one particular club you sort of look back and think, "Why on earth did I ever go
8: here?" I I, I wasn't fond of Oldham, being honest. Mm-hmm. Mm, I didn't like Oldham. Didn't feel comfortable up there. And, you know, it was a it was a story where I was in good money at Cardiff, but. You know, I was leaving there and Bristol Rovers came in for me and me, and it's a big learning curve. Bristol Rovers came in and offered me very, very good money. And I thought, hold on, I'll just wait two hours here and then I'll ask for a bit more and then we'll accept it. They pulled the plug on it. I went up for less money to old them and I just hated it from day one. Couldn't wait to get out. Mm-hmm.
2: You know. Was that, do you think, because of the, how it went with Bristol, you sort of went, I shouldn't
8: even be here, I should be there? Probably. Just up. Just didn't like the place and thinking. I went, oh, "What have I done?" You know, and it was late into the late into pre-season because it was trying to be play a bit of bringsmanship. And I had agents before, but I'm not a big lover of agents to be honest. If You get the right one, yes, but you know, unfortunately, neither run football. But you know, I was doing a little bit myself, and they pulled the plug,
3: and that's the way it was. Interesting, you said there. Sorry about the agents running football. That's yeah. an interesting thing. And I would fully 100% agree with you. I mean, there's so many agents trying to force moves through for their, their uh, people who they're working for, so to speak. And sometimes it's definitely not in the interest
8: of the player. No, not, not at all. Well, you look, I think whenever I started, there was only five agents by year. But now there's, I think, registered with the FA, there's over 1,500. And you're getting what I didn't like. I had one agent phone me up from a big company. And it was one of his young boys. And he says, I've watched you. You need this right back. My right back says, and I said, will you tell you something? Don't you ever tell me what I need because I know what I need. And some, I always got on with the ex-ones, the ex-players, because they understand where you'll get some of these young boys ring up. No disrespect, but what did you say? You know, uh, and this is the thing I find with agents. You'll have 10 players, centre forwards. They'll put the tenues into the one club. Unless you're really after this player. If he gets one of them, does he care about the rest of the Because he's getting his money. But unfortunately, this is the way football is. Agents you know what I mean it's that expanded and it's difficult it is very difficult but it's just easy at the moment and you know it's just the way it's an industry entertainment and you know and as I say it's not all the agents but some are good but it's very very hard at the moment
2: How much control as a player do you have when you have an agent I mean are you signing over a lot of power to them or is it is it well, a personality thing because you see a lot written now about oh it's his agents forcing the move and you're going well if you employ the agent can you not tell the agent to get stuffed
8: you can, but, as I say, it's the pound signs come in. And, you know what, the, the one, I'll tell a story, it was up at, we were playing England up at Manchester, 19, maybe in 2005, and Luton come in for me, Doncaster come in for me, and Barnsley come in for me. But I was in League One at the time, and it was deadline day, so I come off the training pitch, Mottram Hall, and my agent had to come up to Mottram Hall, hotel, so he's in, the said, yes, Three clubs have bid fee, bang, we'll get this done. says, right, OK. says, I want to go to Luton. And he went, no, you're not going to Luton. And Luton, we're getting into the championship man." Eh? I went, why? And he goes, because um, I'm not getting my fee. I went, all right. He says, you're going to go to Barnes or Doncaster? I says, why? And he says, because they're paying my fee. I says, no, I'm not. So I uh, had some money of a loyalty bonus, and I had to pay my agent to make this deal happen. That's football. I can't believe
2: that. I mean yeah. uh, sadly I can but you know that's whew, that's crazy stuff I tell you. Um agents eh? who'd love them. <laughs> I'm sure people have plenty of opinions. People have opinions on referees too and one of the most interesting opinions that I heard about referees this season was from Carrick Rangers boss Niall Curry. Have a listen to this. Oh
10: wow. Um it's a tough one. It's a tough job, Michael. Like you've got to be honest about thing. I've seen there's some there's some very very good referees uh, in the country. There's no doubt about that. But I, I think I think that they have a, have a real difficult job, Michael. And, and they're never going to get VAR here. I would love to get VAR in the, VAR in this country. But um, I just think that I think that they're doing their best. Would be the best way I could put it. You know, I think I've seen some. I've seen some poor performances. I've seen some very decent performances, but um, you know it's a tough gig for for referees. And I've actually a wee bit of sympathy for for some of them as well because you know it's it's hard. I've seen some referees getting absolute dogs' abuse coming off football pitches as well. And it's but it's frustrating They've got to understand it's it's a it's passion of the game too. Everybody gets a lot of frustration, but I think um, I just say you know it's up to, I think Davy Davy Malcolm's still in charge of the whole situation, so. Davy's a good Davey's a good man. He's, I always found Davy, you could ring David on a Saturday night. Well, not probably not the best idea, but you could maybe ring him on a Sunday and, and have a conversation you with him. You probably rang
2: him on the Saturday night. I did <laughs> ring him on a Saturday night or missed him on
10: a Saturday night, but um, he's a good man. He's open. He answers you. He, he, he'll reply to you and he'll call, call you back. So I think to keep that communication open is vital. I just think Personally, I think referees should engage more with 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 players and managers. That's my just my personal opinion. I don't think I think some referees don't engage, and there's an aura about them, and there's a, an arrogance about some referees. I would say that, that a lot of people find very frustrating, including players. And uh, I would like them to engage more with players and and have a wee bit of savvy about them and see the bigger picture. And communication is very big, and I don't like referees that swan around and and do their own thing and you know, push you out of the road and give you a go away, go away and don't like them kind of things. I think referees the best referees that we had in Norman Cows of the world and people like got there used to tell you when and catch yourself on now on the football pitch. Grow you know, on your bike or whatever. But yeah, there were there were there was a communication, there was a respect. And I think if referees get back to, to getting that side of their personalities out and, and know that there's no no harm and a wee bit of banter during a the game, then I think it'll be all good for them as well.
2: Cause that's one of the things that I've picked up on talking to players that you know have retired from the Irish League is that there was a generation of referees, and I'm, I'm sure more than one generation of referees who would have plainly told you where to go, yeah. but but there was that mutual respect because you could have a bit of fun, you knew there was a, a line of communication there, whereas Absolutely. sometimes you know, and I, I'm talking about it from a different point of view obviously from a commentator's perspective I I wonder whether referees are are so trained away from that that they're afraid of that interaction and that's where the the friction develops
10: uh, I don't think you're too far wrong I think I think again we, we, how, how many times do you see a referee smiling on a football pitch very yeah. rarely very very rarely um and I don't see the I don't see why not uh, to me where does his enjoyment come from it's a great know, question. T- t- but but uh, very rarely did I see referees smiling on a football pitch anymore. And I used to see a lot of very good top men uh, smiling and having a wee bit of bun. Everything you had done was tongue-in-cheek because you you knew the lane. You knew not to cross the lane with, with Norman Cowes of the world and referees like that there and, and, and Alan Snotties and people like that. You knew not to cross the lane. But there was an engagement. There was a communication. Norman Cow was one of the best I have seen in a long, long time. Was he, he was tongue-in-cheek. You know, But he was in control of the situation. And I just think referees have stopped talking to players and they've stopped talking to managers as well. They just say, go away.
2: Maybe, maybe something to look at if a referee's assessor's listening now. Because I, I just can't help but think that if I was doing my job and there was somebody with a clipboard marking me out of 10 for everything I said on this programme today, would I do a better programme or would I do a worse programme? I you'll, don't know if I'd enjoy it more.
10: You'll do a worse programme, I can tell you, because I've seen that situation happen many a time. I've seen a referee referee a game away from home, where there's no assessor there, and he was outstanding one day. And I've seen the same referee coming to my next game, and he's done absolutely, in my opinion, really, really poor game, and he's done everything by the book, and he was full of cards, wouldn't let a tackle go. I think there was there was seven of people booked, and there wasn't bad tackle in the game. I think actually we got a red card, or there was a red card issued as well, and the assessor was standing on his clipboard so to me I don't think that helps situations I think I think um, I think you got to give them the freedom to let them see the game let them let them make their own decisions yeah. you know whether you know it's up to it's up to assessors or it's up to uh, Davy Malcolm's the world if they're good enough but let them referee the game the way they see the referee the game. That would be my advice in the whole situation. It
2: just seems like there's an element of trust required there. You know, if, you, if you've if you given them a qualification to be a referee, because we're at a time where we're, I mean, Niffle put out a project or a programme, they're looking to bring in more referees. The game's crying out for more referees. Absolutely. I think you've made a really good point there. Um, when, when do you see referees smile? And if they aren't smiling, why on earth would they want to be out there? You know, if you're not enjoying it, why would you do it? Especially for the level of abuse you get. Totally agree, Michael. He talks a lot of sense now, Curry doesn't he? And that thought stuck in my mind. How do referees perform when there's assessors there marking them, judging them and, and looking down on them? And assessors will say, we're here to make it better. And I'm sure that is indeed their intention. But does it bear any impact on the referees? Does it affect their performance? I ask that to referee... Jimmy Robinson.
11: it's something that you have to get used to um, earlier on in my career you maybe were only assessed 2-3 times in a season um, now it's every single game so you don't really think about it as much um, right now because you know they're there they have to do a job they're there to judge you um, and that's the system that's in place at the minute and um, And, you know, you've you've plenty of other distractions apart from the the assessor that's sitting in the stand. There's, you know, hundreds, thousands, depending on on what game you're doing, of of fans judging your performance. And, you know, as you guys um, produce video clips and stuff after, um, there's there's certainly um, plenty of other people there to actually... You know, judge your decision making.
2: Neil Warnock obviously got himself in a bit of hot water after admitting that his wife gave him permission to, to do what he liked to an official who gave a decision <laughs> he wasn't so uh, fond of. You must be used by now to the the abuse that comes with the territory, all the opinions, uh, some of them not particularly nice and uh, usually Northern Irish punters, it's part of what we love about it, but they don't mince their words, do they?
11: no um they don't they definitely don't um but as you say it's it's what comes with the job I know what I'm doing I, you know I know what I've set myself up for here um I've been in it for what 11 years now um it's part and parcel you know referees expect to take abuse you know if they make wrong decisions it's how football is and it's not limited to northern ireland it's worldwide um and people love having their opinions on referees um it's a well talked about subject um you know mistakes and 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 decisions are, are published online and they're available within seconds nowadays so um yeah it's it's difficult at times you know people come out and criticize your decision um and, you know, times they have a point, we, we we do make mistakes, there's no doubt about that, we make mistakes just like players will make mistakes, you know, whether that's a striker that's blasting a, a ball over the bar, that may be highlighted, but it won't be highlighted as much as a penalty I miss, for example, um, managers make mistakes, you know, everyone associated with football will make mistakes, but unfortunately, ours are highlighted, and yes, sometimes ours can change games, there's no denying that. But the main thing is really trying to just reduce, you know, limit those mistakes, those key match um, decisions. Try and reduce those mistakes to an absolute minimum, if possible. Um, And you know, you're always going to make them, so there's no getting away from that. But I, I would be one. I'm all for communication. So if you feel, if I feel like I have made a decision whereby. Um somebody's not happy about it, whether it's a, a player or a manager. I am more than happy to speak to them. You know, maybe not at the time, depending on the game, the circumstance at that time, the play may be going on or whatever. But I am more than happy to explain that decision to somebody if they're asking whether it's at halftime, um, full time, whenever because
2: is is that frowned upon though in the refereeing profession? Because you know, some people say referees are robots now, they're not loud personalities. They used to be able to you know, in no uncertain terms, have a little conversation with players, and and maybe now there's a, there's a different way of approaching things. So, would would within the refereeing profession, would you would you draw criticism from your peers if you went and said, ah, "I've made a mess of that one, actually"?
11: Um, I think I think a lot of people will have the opinion that we can't be spoken to, and we're sort of aloof and 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 we're in our own little group and we you know drive home after matches and forget about everything and open up a bottle of wine um (laughs) but that's certainly not the case um as i said i'm all for the communication i don't think it's frowned upon from refereeing circles i want to be able to speak about decisions I want to be able to have a rapport with managers I want to be able to have a rapport with players because I think that's really really important to actually um, having a successful game here in Northern Ireland because we have to have all the pieces together in making this work so I think that's a really really important aspect um, and we if we do make a mistake we as I said we don't go home and, and just forget about it we're thinking about it you know into the the start of the working week on a Sunday. Um, especially if it's been highlighted in the media and you're 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 sitting at home and you're not you, you can't enjoy your day really. And it's probably similar. I'm sure a manager or a player would say the same thing if, you know, they maybe didn't you know, a manager didn't come out with the right uh formation in the second half or, or he changed things and he and he regrets it. It's the same idea. We we don't forget mistakes that we make. They do play a part in our life and um you know, it takes It takes a short time to get over it but you have to get over it because you have another game on Saturday and you have to think about that game and and put all focus on it.
2: Could you see a time when referees are doing post-match interviews like managers and players and maybe explaining their thought processes because that is probably one of the things that people struggle with. What's that referee on? What's he thinking? Because sometimes we just don't know.
11: Yeah, um, I think it's actually been done before here in in Northern Ireland. I don't think it's been done for a while but it has been done. I personally, I, I'm all for it because if you can give players, managers, supporters, anyone involved, that clarity of your your decision making, you know what you're thinking at the time, it may help. You know the decision that's been made has been made. There's no change in that. You know no interview is going to change that decision. The outcome is the outcome. Um, but yeah, I, I would be all for doing that. Um, but it depends on the circumstance. Um, it depends on. You know, am I going to see it back after the match and think to myself, "Oh, I maybe would have done something differently there, or I regret doing that." It depends on the game, it depends on the circumstance. I may speak about it to radio or television or whatever it is, um, if if I think it's right. But again, you can't have it every match, and you know it would sort of lose its effect, I guess, if you did it, you know, too often. But um, I think it would be a positive thing, and it would um, allow people to see the referees are human and. Um, mistakes will be made. Uh,
2: what about the technology side of things? You know, we, we've seen in other leagues, uh, goal line technology come in, VAR is going to be in the Premier League next season. I'm not quite sure when we're going to see technology in Northern Ireland but as a referee, <laughs> would that sort of prospect excite you to have uh, a little device on your watch that tells you it's crossed the line or to, to be able to go to some man in a tr- or woman in a truck somewhere <laughs> who,
11: who can say, we've watched it back, Jimmy? Um, yeah, it's funny. We actually, uh, me and a couple of other referees had had a joke about this um, about VAR coming out in the motorway, watching <laughs> <it>. <laughs> about VAR coming into Northern Ireland, and um, we were saying it would probably be a case of you know a, a, a LCD TV at the side of this <laughs> side of the pitch and someone in a burger van, you know, on, on a monitor and saying, Jimmy, I think that's that's the wrong decision." And you know, we were just having a joke about how it would be rolled out in Northern Ireland. But anyway, um, look. <laughs> It, it has to be a positive thing, it really does, because as I said, we're human, we're going to make mistakes, um, you look at other sports and it has worked, but it's only worked after a, a period of actually getting used to it and ironing out the, the problems that, that, that may come with actually introducing it. Football, as you know, everyone has an opinion and it's proved with the VAR use so far that People still think that it's it's wrong in the outcome that they they produce and the referee produces. So, look, there's always going to be opinions. Um, It's going to help things massively, I think. Goal line technology is fantastic because it's black or white. You know, has the ball crossed the line or not? um, It's easy that way. But a challenge that's made, it can still be interpreted differently depending on who you ask Um, it could be one of those challenges challenges that's made that's between a yellow and a red card Um, VAR might come out with a red card and obviously people are going to say that it's a yellow card and so on but it has to be viewed as a positive I think there's a lot of work to do still um, in actually making it the best that it can be the best version of it you know
2: is it a lonely profession? I mean, do referees? We, we know there's like a you know a goalkeepers union. Is there a referees union? If you have a, a an awful match day, do other referees text your support, or are they sort of going, well, I'll get the big game next week
11: because he's fluffed his lines? Um, no, not really. I mean, the the group is is pretty close. Um, we we all talk on a regular basis. We meet up, uh, once a month together. We're working together. It's a small group, so we're working together quite a lot. Um, in games week to week so um, listen there's people there that I, I get on with very well there's people there that are my friends I would consider Um, there's people there that you know you, you're working with there's no, there's nobody there I dislike you know absolutely not Um, but you know you have to have a good working relationship with everybody or else it won't work um, and I know managers come out and say um, you know, they need to work together if there's something, if there's a mistake made or something like that. But I agree with that aspect. You know, we do have to work together and making that happen, uh, you have to have the best possible working relationship um, with each other at a very minimum, you know, before you actually go into the pressure cooker of actually um, delivering a game in the Irish League because it's 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 not easy, you know. But going back to your point on being lonely... um a lot of the time, we're training by ourselves, um, so it's sometimes it's tough to get motivated to actually train because you're doing it by yourself. If you compare it to a team that maybe has a squad of twenty that's training together two nights a week. You know, it's load of banter and and, and everything else that comes with it. We're having to actually train by ourselves um, throughout the week and and do the sessions that that are given to us by the Irish Football Association. So, yes, it's lonely. Um, in that aspect but then you know you get that match day and you're working with other guys and um, it's a bit better then but I think back to the guys that are refereeing junior and intermediate football they're not only training by themselves but they're doing a match by themselves as well so it's it's only whenever I actually go and do you know a game whether it's a youth match or something like that I turn up uh, to referee it and I blow the whistle to start the game start the game uh, somebody appeals for an offside and I'm looking around me looking for my two assistants <laughs> and they're not there because we're at Mollusk playing fields and, and I'm on my own and uh, it's only then you realise that it's so, so tough and and it is lonely. It is lonely at times.
2: Yeah, and that's a, a really good illustration of what it's like, especially when you, know, you come in initially you're going, what do I do with these extra people? And eventually you're going, what would I do without them? Exactly. It's a full turnaround, yeah. Um, the other aspect of it is the rules rules change all the time quite often supporters don't know the rules they may try i've heard some really incorrect complaints go onto the pitch and uh we all think we know best and commentators are no different but um how hard is it to keep up to date with the rules you know handball the silhouette of your body and all you know the, the, the determination changes the free kicks change vanishing sprays ufe <laughs> okay. no you know we, we everything every couple of years there's a new zeitgeisty thing in football that everyone has to pay attention to how do you keep up to date with it all
11: um look there's there's revisions every year by um the ifab um who actually decide the laws of the game so um each season they'll review uh the review what's went on you know what what problems have actually occurred that that could actually be fixed by a revision of the laws of the game so you know they'll, they'll just look at matches you know high-level Champions League matches through to um, other clips that are submitted from each association and they'll, they'll try and think of things that'll make football better really and that's, that's their goal um, but we will get the revisions for um, the laws of the game for the new season um, probably about now. Um, actually, we should get them very, very soon, um, and they'll come into effect, I think, from the 1st of July. Um, I could be wrong, but I think it's the 1st of July. But we'll get them through, we'll read through them, we'll meet as a group, um, and we'll uh, discuss it as a group, and we'll watch clips and, and, and sort of you know analyze uh, the changes and how they're gonna affect us actually, refereeing. A lot of the time, I think it was a couple of years ago, there was the biggest changes, really. Um, such as dogzo and how that's changed and how it's went from uh, a red to a yellow if there's a, a chance to play the ball and so on if it's in the penalty area to deny that or to stop that.
2: Uh. That's an acronym and I associate immediately with Michael Oliver and the the FA Cup final Man United Chelsea we saw a great illustration of that. Just in case anyone doesn't know what dogzo stands <laughs> for, can you give us that?
11: Yeah, it's denying an obvious goal scoring opportunity.
2: There you go. I just don't want to take it for granted that yeah. we we all we're all knowing that. Uh, sorry, continue making your point. So that's one of the changes.
11: Yeah. So um, we'll just we'll look at the changes and we'll discuss it as a group, as I said. And yeah, it's just keeping on top of that um, and keeping on top of what hasn't changed in so long, I think it's important because, you know, we can sometimes you can maybe get f- that focused on what has changed and not forget, but, you know, remember that there, there's things that have been there for years that haven't changed and we need to know them. You know, we, there's no excuse for not knowing them. That's the, that's the very basics, you know, and, um, I wouldn't say it's tough, you know. Once, once you've done so many games, you have that experience. You know what's expected for a certain, um, you know, if a certain thing happens on the pitch, you just automatically know a lot of the time what, what, what uh, needs to happen. Um, but yeah, there's 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 constantly changes, and it's just it's just keeping on top of them. But what I find is the greatest difficulty as a referee is you may know the changes, but it's the other people that don't that then give you abuse because they think it's the other way I think it's different
2: the offside rule where you can be a free kick can be awarded in your own half if it not, if you become active yeah. when you run back. Yeah. I mean, that was one I hadn't actually seen it before. I saw it at Windsor Park earlier this season. And everyone's irate going, how can you give a, an attacking free kick? Which essentially it ended yeah. up being to the away side when uh, it might have been Cervanka had, had doubled
11: back. But it, it, it is the laws of the game. It's totally right by the ref. And everyone's going, what's he doing? Can you imagine how that was in the first couple of weeks that that was introduced? The first couple of weeks of the Irish League season? Can you imagine how that uh. was received? It, it, you couldn't explain it. <laughs> no. You probably the best way was probably just to lift the ball and set it where it should be because nobody could understand. You know, the, the, I think the information was sent out to all of the clubs and their visions, but you know whether that's related to the players or not, I, I'm not sure. But as I said, the greatest difficulty is supporters, um, sometimes players, um, coaches, managers not being in the same wavelength in terms of what actually is in the laws of the game, um, and it's just it's just everyone needs to have the same understanding and then we can you know, work from that
2: I do my very best when iFab publish their changes I go and I read it and there's so much of it um, there really is <laughs> you can't just read the, the bullet points we saw some broadcasters get a little bit embarrassed earlier this season when they misinterpreted some of the the new laws that are going to be introduced and I think in one case made one up it's easy done um, one of the things that I've been speaking to people about is the change to the uh, the wall of a free kick, where the opponents won't the the attacking team won't be able to put one of their players yeah, in the exactly. wall from uh, the start of next season. Yeah. Which I, I'm going to mention this every week on this show <laughs> because I know come August people are going to go, right, he can start there if he wants, because uh, I've spoken to Irish league managers and I won't name them who weren't aware of this change.
11: Yeah, um, that's going to come into place, um, and again, it's going to be similar to the uh, offside scenario and the indirect free kick, and where it's taken. Mm. Um, you're just going to—I think it's going to take a few weeks to actually for players and, and everyone else to, to get used to it, because no doubt I'll still get the the <laughs> same same man in the stand shouting, as you say, he can stand where he wants and you haven't the clue, ref. But um, it, it'll take a while to actually implement and, and get people used to it.
2: It's a really fascinating profession and we've been very lucky in this programme. We've had Mark Halsey on in the past. We had Milorad Mazic last year's Champions League final referee. But this is the first time we've had an Irish League referee on the programme. I think it's important to to get a perspective from a local referee on the local game because you're there making the decisions whether we love them or hate them and that's all part of it. Um, The the last thing I wanted to ask you about is the relationship with managers and players because it's, uh, I guess it's crucial for you as much as anything. I mean, as a broadcaster, I find it so useful to be able to go and have a chat and I find managers and players very amenable most of the time, especially after they win. (laughs) Um, What's it like
11: as a referee? I mean, can you go and have a
2: chat with people after the game or, or are you left out in the cold?
11: Yeah, the short answer is yes, mostly. Um, you can have a chat with people after the game. Um, and as I said earlier, communication is so important in, in all walks of life, but especially in refereeing, especially in refereeing. Um, you need to have that that clear communication with people, whether it's during the game, before the game, after the game. And, you know, I think a lot of the clubs will actually ask us in after the match. Um and that'll consist of us as a team going in a lot of the time with players, coaches, sometimes supporters, board members, you name it, in a clubhouse. And we'll chat to them. We'll. Uh, chat to them about you know if they wanted to ask about a decision you know if it's asked the right way of course you know most <laughs> people are fine listen don't get me wrong but we'll go in and um, we'll, we'll chat about things and we'll create that rapport as such and actually create a better relationship with players with managers even supporters and um, because as you said at the start there of this question um referees are sort of seen as you know I don't know what the best way to describe it is um, but sort of somebody that that's there, they go and do the game, and then they go home, and and nobody really knows where they go or or where they live, or you know, it's um, it's one it, of those things. So it's, I want to
2: like seeing your your primary school teacher in like normal clothes. Do you know that sort of thing. You're like, but you're but you're a teacher. You know, you're not allowed to be a real person. You you have a job, and that's
11: very distinctly what you are. Exactly, and it is awkward whenever you know people will see you. You know, out like, when there's a shopping center or something, and. <laughs> They sort of look at you, and you're like, "That's the referee, or or whatever." Um, but um, I just don't. I don't think they expect to see somebody that's refereed their match in that sort of circumstance. If that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, as I said, it's really, really important to break down that barrier as such, um, and create a better relationship between everyone involved. And. It's so it's so so important, um, and you know that's why I was happy to come on to actually speak about that and and give people a different perspective, um, and to prove that we really are human and uh, we're 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 not robots, as you say.
2: Is that an exclusive referees are human? Uh, Jimmy Robinson, he was a very good guest as well, and uh, it was something. That got a lot of people talking afterwards. You can see the whole interview online via our SoundCloud and Anchor platforms, if you wish. Now, uh, a man that was in the studio only a matter of weeks ago, Stevie Garrett. He has played with some fantastic players. And I just couldn't help myself by asking him to choose a favourite between a rather prolific pairing.
3: The Score with Michael Clark.
2: Let me throw you an absolute stinker of a question, Stevie, yeah. right? This is where I am off the Christmas card list before I get on it.
12: I know what's happening. Is you, it Liam Ferguson versus Liam Boyce?
2: Yeah, no? because, yeah, it's exactly <laughs> that. Because you've, you've seen the iconic Linfield forward line, you've seen the, the Boyce-Gormley. Uh, I can't pick between them, but you are in a privileged position
12: to have, have played with both sets. Mm-hmm. I suppose I'm going to have to sit in the fence on this one. Um, I'm obviously mates with them both. I would say I really enjoyed playing with Liam Boyce um, in 2013, when we won the league I played sort of the left hand side It scored about 15 goals that season and Liam Boyce probably set them all up just getting the ball in the feet turning and slipping me in between the backs or in between the fullback and the centre half um, so in terms of enjoyment of playing alongside I would say Liam Boyce because I played more with Liam but in terms of longevity and records in Irish league football I mean Glen Ferguson probably scored 30 goals a season over 20 seasons you know yeah, so yeah. like Liam Boyce might have done the same if he'd have stayed here and obviously he's playing at a higher level so different types of players out and out goal scorer I would say Spike football brain I would say Liam Boyce
2: Do you think you get the credit you deserve when you look at the players you've played alongside the teams you've played in the honours you've won do you think that you, you when you pick up the paper or whatever or you turn on the radio do you do you think you get your props?
12: I don't know it's, it's something I've never really thought about and uh you know, people people are going to talk about you and write things about you, um, good or bad, and sing things about you. But uh, <laughs> I suppose it's up to them to decide. You know, what what I would say is strikers always get the headlines. So in our twenty thirteen team, Liam Boyce and Joe Gormley rightly got the headlines. I think when history goes on or when the years go on, people then just remember oh, that was the Liam Boyce and the Joe Gormley team. And whilst they were absolutely unbelievable for us, we had probably 16 top players that season. You know, you look at the spine of the team with Mark Smith and Ryan Catney and Barry Johnston, and I played uh, wide that season. You had Ronan Scannell, Chris Scannell. It's more than just a couple of players. So you'll always get a couple of players that get all the limelight because they're the best, but it was definitely a team team effort.
2: And I think what strikes me as well as you go through those names, when you think of teams that achieve great things, they always have big personalities, big, strong characters.
12: Yeah, definitely, and um, I suppose, you know, men in the change room as opposed to the, the boys, and uh, yeah, you look back. Certainly, the Linfield team that uh, sort of was on the periphery of, and then the the league winning teams at, at Cliftonville, you had seasoned professionals who just knew how to get the job done.
2: Cause you, I guess now you're you're one of the more senior players in the <laughs> Cliftonville dressing room. That's nicely dressed up, Michael, um, but you know. How different is it now for young players coming into a dressing room compared to when you were 16, 17, 18 and, and walking into, as you say, men?
12: Yeah, I think um I think it's definitely changed. So, you know, back in sort of the early 2000s when I was breaking through or mid 2000s, there was that leadership role. that was definitely, you know, Noel Bailey, Glenn Ferguson, uh, Pat McShane, you know, these players that you looked up to now. I think football as a whole, even in the UK, you look at Man City, Liverpool, there's less of that commanding, domineering footballer. Um, so that's definitely different, but maybe you don't lead it by shouting or screaming, or maybe you just lead by on the pitch, and our captain at the minute Chris Curran wouldn't be a shouter, wouldn't be very, very vocal, but leads by example. So there's different ways to, to lead.
2: And, I mean, you know, I, I talk about you know endeavour and work rate on the pitch. He is a, a player that Definitely embodies that when he goes on. I mean, he people don't probably realize how much he gets stuck in as well. He's he just seems like the most competitive person ever.
12: He is, and uh, you know the, the ultimate professional. Um, reminds me of James Milner a wee bit, um, <laughs> just the way even that he plays and he runs and he looks after himself. But uh, very very talented, brilliant leader, um, and one of the nicest guys in the Irish league
3: as well. We have a question just going through Facebook here from a David Heron. This is an interesting one. Okay. What club are you going to be at next season? Uh, at the minute, Cliftonville.
12: Um, I have another year in my contract, so uh, until anybody tells me differently, I'm preparing that I'm going to be there. Obviously, I think reading between the lines of where that question's come from, I haven't played as much as I've wanted yeah. to this season. Okay. And uh, and. Obviously, I want to play. You know, you're coming into probably the twilight of your career. I still think of many more years left, but you want to play as much as you can. But um, at the minute, I'm a Reds player.
2: And everyone knows he only moves in January anyway. (laughs) That's it, yeah. So, it'll be another few months before. (laughs) Um, Looking through your career, what would you, and I have an idea anyway, but what would you say is your highlight, your favourite moment looking back?
12: I think the... The highlight was my birthday, my twenty sixth birthday, um, which was the thirteenth of April, twenty thirteen, when we beat Linfield three two to win the league, and George Mullen took that penalty away. George McMullen took t- that penalty away in the ninety third minute, and solitude went wild. I th- think that's a hard one to beat. I forgot that
2: was your birthday actually. Yeah. So that's mm. uh, as a moment. I mean, you're. You must be going through every emotion when that penalty's given for you know, if we go back just before he he, he tucks it away and everyone goes mental and the, the yep. crowd near spell under the pitch and everything. Yeah. That like the penalty's given, are you thinking right before in the league? Or what are you thinking?
12: I can't even remember, to be honest. It's such a blur. <laughs> um what I would say is I think we'd I think we a bit of a buffer. So I don't think we had to win it that day. Um but we'd never won it before. So you're thinking I think Looking back, you're saying you didn't have to win it that day, but at the time you're thinking, if we go, don't get this done, I could go. So it was probably just nerves, suspense. Will the for the ball to go in the net? I think the whole uh crowd at the McLeary stand sucked the ball into the net that day. <laughs> they were all just and it was um probably what was it fifteen years maybe ninety eight to twenty thirteen since Cliftonville had won the league. So um lots of relief I suppose when that went in.
2: And I'd imagine the the celebrations fairly legendary stuff.
12: Again, I can't remember. <laughs> I <laughs> um, think that was a yes then. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> I think with a full weekend, maybe one of them we uh, won the league. I think went out on a Saturday night, Sunday with an open top bus tour. I think, um, which was just unbelievable. People probably looked from you know outside and thought they're milking this a wee bit, but for us in the middle of it, it was just great days and great times, and and then with the I think we had a storm at reception and then the Football Writers Award. So it was one of the weekends, it was four days in a row, so it was just crazy.
2: But I think any team that goes and wins a league and you know, officially the best team in the country for that season deserve that. I mean, because the amount of work that goes into it, and we talk about it in this programme pretty much every week, the dedication that's involved when you have, in commas, a real job and then you try and be an Irish League footballer as well.
12: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think we did annoy people that season. I mean, we were tweeting... Six clear and on the beer, um, <laughs> and it probably wasn't the most professional thing to do. But ultimately, we got the job done. You know, one thing's being arrogant and uh, confident, but we we got the job done and we we deserved it. And uh, which is why you know you have to tip your hat to, to the teams that win the league. You know, Limfield this year, Crusaders last year. I Suppose when you've when you've played thirty eight games and you've done it, you can tweet whatever you want within reason.
2: Does it? annoy you, the sort of stick that it almost seems like it comes to the territory of being a Cliftonville player, unfortunately, that then you know being at Cliftonville equals stick?
12: I think probably every club equals stick. Um, certainly the bigger clubs, and I think when you've had success, that people expect it. And uh, 2013, 2014, we won the league, and I think the whole parameters of the club change and the perceptions, and people expect it. Um, and obviously, then we went into the the wilderness. I suppose for the last few years, but uh, that goes with the territory. I mean, if you're going to accept the the praise when you've succeeded, then you've got to accept the stick when you're not doing it.
2: And you alluded to, you know, people singing songs about you or anything like that. Does it ever become too much as a player when you're when you're out there doing your job and and things are coming in from the stands, or how easy is it to block it out?
12: Well, you can't let it. You can't. You just can't let it. Because as soon as the the fans know they've got the, then they'll just continue. Um, Sometimes you hear things that somebody would say to your face on the street. Um, that's not nice, and mm-hmm. but you just got to deal with it. And uh, ultimately, they're they're there to support their team and, and watch the the game. You you've got to worry when it's starting to come from your own fans, and thankfully that hasn't been the case.
2: No, that's when you do probably as a player start to worry. Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Speaking of fans, fans that will certainly be excited, are the team that won the championship and won it with some style too. Lorne, the Lorne revolution, they're calling it. They are in the big time. What impact will they have on the premiership? Well, before I asked Tim McCann that, I asked him, what have the last 18 months or so been like?
9: Well, it's been crazy. I mean, you probably have to go back 18 months when, when we first started. Sheamus and Tierney were already in before I was. They, they took this on when there was no Kenny Bruce and they went in and were trying to build a team back then of, of really younger guys and they were getting beat maybe 3 and 4 and 5 every week um, I think I came in it was 2017 around about August of 2017 and some of the players we, we have now I don't think there's any of them left but uh, it was tough it was really tough I mean at one stage we were languishing, languishing 6 points adrift at the bottom of of championship and you know, we needed to get out of that position for this investor to to happen. Tiernan met with Kenny and Tiernan put his plans and his ideas. Kenny bought into Tiernan and his ideas and anything that Kenny has promised and he's a fantastic, fantastic man. Everybody just sees Kenny the money. he's a fantastic man, he's a big family man. Um, you know, this town has been galvanized in the last year of you know even going back to the Irish cup quarter final of of the previous season beating Ballinamore up there playing Colrehan in the semi final it was just phenomenal and the, and and, and the, the the important thing was to, was to take the town with us it wasn't us in the town now it's become the whole place is is just galvanized you're getting 1500 people at a game it, it's crazy to think of and it, it's just phenomenal what what's been achieved and Tiernan's a very, very smart manager, very good coach, as is Seamus. And training is planned strategically. Players are brought in strategically. There's an ethos at the club, which we believe every player should buy into. And we're trying to do things right. We believe that we are at this moment in time, but it's going to be very, very tough next year. And we're under no illusions that's that it's going to be tough. But... You know I'm glad that people got to see us in the in the quarterfinal against Korea this year about you know what we could do and, and how we showcased you know the style of football that we like to play
2: the thing is and I'm, I'm sure it probably annoys everybody because the because of the money aspect of it because there's been an investment that's the thing that everyone brings up don't they and they yeah. sort of go "Ah, oh, use the money boys we're going to raise our game to play you because you've got all the yeah. money you've all the and you you probably hear numbers bandied about <clears throat> some people were saying you're paying above what the premiership clubs are paying.
9: Yeah, uh, uh, it's it's crazy, you know, and you get you get all these rumors. I mean someone said to me last year we were apparently we were we were going to sign Garth McCauley and we were going to ban for two hundred and seventy five thousand pounds and I heard that one. You know, it, it, it's just crazy stuff. No one sees what goes on in the background and, and I think anybody'll tell you even in the championship we haven't went about acting you know, being cocky or or being, oh, look at us, we're lying, we have money. Not in the slightest have we done that. And I think if you ask any of the clubs that we've played against, you know, we, we tied up our own changing rooms afterwards if we play away from home. Um, every, every the, the work rate that the players do off the pitch and on the pitch and going to visit schools and special needs schools. And it's a real, real good camaraderie at this club and we're trying to do things right and we're trying to do things the right way. And, and that was always Tiernan's vision. His vision was always full-time football and as I say you can go out and you can have all the money in the world but you need to bring in the right kind of players and those kind of right players they can't be mercenaries they have to buy into what you're delivering and right now all of these players were handpicked for a particular reason and a particular position and right now they're all living up to their expectations and delivering what Tiernan has asked them
2: on the mercenary front, um, look, we see it in the, the the Premier League and the the clubs with money and having money does not equal success. You have to invest money wisely, and that's sometimes not said enough. Particularly here, you you wonder because it's, it's no new thing. Players go, "What's he on? I want that too." Yeah. And that that was happening when you were signing contracts. Ten you know? minutes,
9: you were hearing, you were hearing players were always adding about. Three or four hundred pound under what they were getting. You know, oh, I'm getting this to try and make themselves look good. And then when you went and asked for that or whatever, people they were asked off or you were being offered half that. You were going, why am I only being offered half of what he is? But rumors fly about players talk, and and you'll never never change that. Um, you'll always get rumors started by one person who then hears someone else saying it. And you know, I, I can assure you, it, it's not like that at Lauren. Um, you know Kenny wants to know where his money's going and where it's being spent and is is it being spent wisely and you know there's not a a pound spent that Kenny doesn't know about or or is is consulted with first Uh, and as I say Tiernan and and Kenny and have have the club in a really really good position at this minute in time and everyone is looking forward to next season with a family fun day this 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 week we're home to uh, the Welders where the you know the fans can meet the players and get their picture taken with the trophy and all that kind of stuff so it, it's it's a real it's a real buzz around the town um you used to see fans in lorne when the team wasn't going so well run about with Limfield and crusaders tops and glentorne tops neither all were all wearing Larne tops and the influx into the academy as well of, of people that kids wanting to play football now is, is fantastic
2: it shows you what can be done, and when there's the good results going along with it. I guess it's easier to bring the the crowd along with you. Next season's going to be such a, an amazing challenge. Um, who knows if you get time to enjoy it? Because it's such
9: hard work. It is such hard work, and we know what you know what the league's like. It's it's relentless. I mean, you know, and as I said, even even this year's Premier League, you know, even Linfield or Crusaders, there's no gimmies. There really isn't. You know, you're you're going to play. If you're going to play. With no disrespect, the bottom six teams, Newry, Warren Point, um, Ards, these teams will take points off you. If you're not 100% in your game, or you go into a game thinking, oh, we should beat these," it doesn't work like that, and it certainly won't next season, because there's a better quality, I believe, in the Premier League than there has been for years, and it's going to be a really, really tough season, and anybody that gets into that top top six will have to earn it.
2: Is top six your target? What's your target?
9: We don't really have any targets. We we, we want to go in and basically see where we are. We want to go in and give a good account of ourselves and and play the style of football that that we we'll have, Michael, and, and try and make some some kind of impact. It would be foolish of us to say that we're going to target because we haven't been there. You know, we, we don't know. I mean, obviously, we've played at certain Premier League teams last season in cup competitions. We could beat by Crusaders, I think, in the in, in, I think it was the County Adams Shield semi-final. They they beat us, obviously. Corain beat us, um, we beat Ards and we beat Nuri. So, you know, two wins and two losses. Actually, we could beat Begley and as well. Sorry, in the in the League Cup, uh, went the extra time. So we we know where we need to be as a team. And we're under no illusions that there's a queer difference in class and tempo between the Championship and the Premier League.
2: Is it fair to say there's going to be a handful of sign-ins this summer?
9: I I think it would be would be foolish not to, to strengthen our, our squad as well every other team. If we didn't strengthen our squad and rested on our laurels, you're only gonna you're gonna get caught out. You have to strengthen. For for starters, there's gonna be seven subs, you know. So you need you need to keep a big squad. As you say, the games come thick and fast. There's gonna be more suspensions. There's gonna be more injuries. You really need to have a squad of about 20, 22 players to be able to compete in this league. And and hopefully we can do that. One thing we
2: can definitely say is that Lauren do the best pre seasons.
9: Oh, we do, we do, we do a good pre-season now, you know, we're also not bad at singing either, Michael. You know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, there, there might be a bit oh, on this. Uh, it's not a holiday. I have to. It's not a holiday. It's a pre-season tour or two. Can you give away where you're going? N- next season for your uh, for your little summer getaway.
9: Oh, the, just the, the summer getaway. We're going to we're going to Marbella just for for a, just an end of season trip with with the players just for a couple of days um, I think that they, they, they deserve it they've earned it um we went away in the summer which seems a, a, a lifetime ago for a preseason uh training camp and and that was hard work Michael it was three sessions a day um, see because
2: there, there was me thinking you're off on the beach because you I mean this is uh, j- just to put it into perspective for people that don't know it's not uh you're you're not doing your all your summer training Necessarily in Larn, you you do get on a plane.
9: Yeah, no, we we'll do what we need to do on the pitch, um, and we'll, we'll 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 do strength and conditioning, and we'll do all our running. But um, lucky enough, we're in a position, you know, as we were last year, to, to go away to Andorra um, for the guts of six days and, and do a training camp, um, and and try and build a, a camaraderie with the players that had just come in, and and they also. Get them used to the, that full time football, which the, they had just transpired into, and it was it was the best thing we could ever have done. And obviously, we'll be trying to look to do something like that next or in the in the forthcoming preseason as well to try and pick somewhere that we can go away for a week. And and lucky enough, we're able to do that. Um, and and to get that experience, the players, any new players that come in, will have that bond. And as I say, it it, it can only help you
2: that will be an enviable position. You know, other clubs going, wish we could do that. But as you say, it's about getting the right people. It's not just someone that wants a holiday, you're trying to say. No,
9: it, 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 it's and it's players that will be, you know, you're not a kid in the sweet shop. You're not just going out to buy anything. You're you are going out to try and pick. And I think that's very important. I think it's going to be important for every club to try and go out and, and, and bring a player in and look at it. Well, is he going to better your team, Michael? That's the first question you got to ask. If you're bringing a player in, is he going to strengthen the team? And if the answer is yes, then it's a no-brainer.
2: It's a it's an exciting time for Lorne fans. There's no doubt. Um, before we come to the end of this, I just want to ask you about your old teammates, uh, Gary Smith and Paul Lehman, because obviously you enjoyed your time playing with them. Glen Torren fans don't really know what's going on with them at the moment. I think it's fair to say, you know, they were they were in charge of the club. Then they were all of a sudden told they weren't in charge of the club. Um, are they still at the club or are they not at the club is there uh,
9: again I don't know I know that they're not at training and, and I know that they're not in a dugout um, as I say it, it, it's not nice what, is, what has happened to them it's very very unfortunate um, I think there needs to be a bit of clarity there between the club and, and the players um, and unfortunately as I say there are two guys that give up what they were doing to come in and obviously we were made promises at that time I understand new people coming in, everything changes, and you know if it's going to benefit Glen Torn then 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 brilliant, well and good. Um, but I just think the other side of it is that you know let's make sure that the other two guys are, are looked after first, and, and make sure that, that they're okay because I think they're a bit disgruntled at the minute.
2: Could, for Glen Touren fans, that must be one thing, and, and for you as a as a former teammate, it must be disappointing that there's this uncertainty at the moment
9: there is um in one hand it's great to see the investment coming in and it, it i'm looking forward to seeing everybody wants a strong glentorn team we all want to see a strong Glenn Torn team and me obviously as an next player i want to see Glenn Torn doing very very well but when you see this other side of it it just gives you a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth and and as i say unfortunately i don't think it's been handled my own own opinion i don't think it's been handled very very well at this minute in time and 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 I've been speaking to a few supporters, and they've been voicing their kind of opinions as well. As much as they're excited by the whole new investment and and what these guys are doing, coming in and trying to make the team and bring them to a better place, you know, let's let's make sure that our ex players and players that have given everything, by the way, for that jersey, are are treated right.
2: Here, here. Um You're a man that wears your heart on your sleeve, Uh, I think it's fair to say. A passionate guy, Um, but also just as passionate about your karaoke. You said there's some good singers in there, right? I just want to go back to these different dressing rooms, right? Where do you rank? Who, who's who's top of the pops and who's sort of the the bottom of the class when it comes to the old karaoke? Because I've I've seen you grab the microphone more than
11: once.
9: Well, it's either a microphone or a bottle of beer. Just pretend <laughs> to sing into it. You know, we we had a few 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 singers back in the day in the Clevelandville days. Um, Mickey Donnelly had a very deep voice. He wasn't the best. He he, he sounded like a goose farting in the fog. <laughs> 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 um, he wasn't he wasn't the best. Jerry Flynn wasn't a bad chanter. Now back yeah. in the day. Um, maybe Stevie could hold a tune Stevie Small but he um, he uh, didn't maybe like to let himself go as much as much as I did I probably sang more than anyone um, in today's ones um, you have Tommy Stewart we, we recently did a record we did a we recorded something for um, a local school up there a special needs school that, uh, to try and raise money for it and it was it was fantastic um, a guy called Tommy who runs a music art up there did a did a fantastic job on it it's obviously a, our own version of um, Sweet Caroline and it's called Sweet Lauren FC and it was absolutely unbelievable so I'd obviously, I had to sing the first verse or chorus or whatever it was and, and they were saying to me people sending saying me where did you get the American accent from? And I said, that's just the way I sing. You know, I said, if you think that's bad, you want to hear me with a few beers at me? <laughs>
2: I'm saying nothing. You're saying nothing. <laughs> saying nothing. Well, you heard me up at the BBC dinner. I? I think I did a few Beatles melodies that night. Yes, and I played taxi afterwards as well. There was a bit of singing was, was in the car. Was singing in the taxi, wasn't it? Oh, no. <laughs> singing in the car on the way back as well. He wasn't the only one singing, by the way, and somebody's getting off lightly with that story. Uh, Tim McCann sharing the memories on the score and uh, we love this part of the season where we look back in some of our highlights. These the highlights from January through to May with me, Michael Clark. And thank you so much for your company. We have uh, a little under 20 minutes left together. So let's go from dodgy karaoke to a decent keeper. Sam Johnston, prolific at saving penalties.
1: What is his process? See, I'm not one of these goalkeepers that would go and protest with the referee as soon as the penalty's given. As soon as it's given, he's not going to change his mind. So I start prepping. I would look around to see who's going to get the ball and start basically stir him into the box and have a look at him, what he's going to do and then I'd go through my routine and then just step up and. Try and it.
2: <laughs> it's such a fascinating process, and over the years, I've loved watching other goalkeepers across Europe and what they do. I mean, Fabian Barthez, remember, he used to step out of his goal and he'd pull his shorts up and kick a goalpost, and all the amount of times he got booked for time wasting. Santiago Canizares had the the scariest stare in football. Um, do you ever look at that and go, I could add one of a, a wee bit of
1: you know pantomime
2: magic to the? No, <laughs> no, that's not me. <laughs>
1: Because I remember Joe Hart in the World Cup against Pirlo. I was like, if I ever, you ever catch me doing that, just send me
2: off. <laughs> <laughs> that was a particular nightmare. Because then Pirlo uh, does the Panenka, didn't uh-huh, he? Yeah, just, you're like, oh, you are like a fool. <laughs> just don't do it. <laughs> um, did you always want to be a goalkeeper?
1: No, I was a striker when I started off. Right. Yeah, and then one night I was playing for Lockside, boys at the time. And um, one night the goalkeeper didn't turn up for training. I was like, I'm so tired, I'm not running around <laughs> this field. I'll be nets. So I jumped in and made a couple of good saves and I got the, the gist for it.
2: So it it, it kinda of happened by accident.
1: Yeah, sort of, yeah. Uh huh. My first goalkeeper coach was my goalkeeper coach now. I never got a goalkeeper coach until I was about under twelve at Linfield. Darn Fox was my goalkeeper coach now. So I just went around in a circle.
2: Oh wow, that's that's pretty funny how that's managed to pan yeah. out. Um what does he what, what's he been saying to you this season then? Because you must have a, a bit of a laugh and a joke about uh, initially being a striker and, and now finding yourself as quite a sought after goalkeeper and what a, what a happy sort of mistake or, or coincidence that this has all sort of
1: worked out as it has Well, I, when I joined Linfield at under 12s, well under 13 was my first year but uh, I played two years at Torn before that, under 11, under 12 and then Lockside but my first year at Glen Torn was the first year I played goalkeeper for the full season so for two years at Glentorn I had nothing, no goalkeeper training, I just turned up and done outfield training and then went to Linfield and there was Darn Fox waiting for me.
2: <laughs> wow. Um, how intimidating is it to, to have goalkeeper training? Because goalkeepers get to stick quite a lot, I think it's fair mm-hmm. to say, Sam. You know, with the training from maybe the outfield players, they feel like they're doing all the running and you're just yeah. sort of diving about a wee bit. Nah, uh,
1: if we get that there, we just say, well, you come and do our training, see how hard it is. <laughs> so that's fun.
2: I just wonder, how how do you ever get used to having those shots pelted at you. I mean, uh, this is a league where this season you, you've come up against plenty of hard hitters and, mm-hmm. and David Cushley's probably
1: the, the hardest. hardest hitter of them yeah. all. Oh, wow, yeah. it's <laughs> You don't want to face them in training. You sort of back out in training, but in a match, it's just go with the flow, get your body in the way of anything. I've had a couple of balls up the face sometimes this year, especially against Stephen Laurie. I was about to say, yeah, uh, home
2: game against Korean because yeah. I was doing that game and it was... It's one of those, and, and immediately we all say, because I was, I was with Gary Haver, and we're all, going, what an amazing save. I don't know if you knew much about it. I mean, is there just a make yourself big and hope for the best in that scenario? Or yeah. Especially, I think you're going, let, let it hit me in the face.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I remember it well. It, was sort of, it came from the right, and I was at my post, and of turned into, and i seen him swing his legs. I just made myself big, and it came towards my face. I was like... Here we go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you ended up in the back of the net. Yep. The ball didn't. And that's that's job that's done for I a good. I <laughs> <laughs> Uh that is later. That is, I guess, part of the hazards of the job. But um, did you ever expect to be in a position where you are now? Um, you know, when you, you look at getting that move two yards um, and, and now being in a position where, I mean, we announced that you were coming on uh, a little earlier this week. I've had Linfield fans send me messages, Glentoran fans, Crusaders fans. And the the gist of it is, does he would he like a move? You know, could could he come to our club? <laughs> um, the the big clubs are, are now looking at you. Uh, could you have imagined that even a couple of
1: years ago when you were at the Welders? No, no, I didn't even expect Ards to come in for me at the Welders. I thought I was going to be at the Welders for maybe two three years before I was ready for it, for the big, for the big league. But um, no, but if a team comes along and you feel like it's a good move, then go for it.
2: Because you're, what, 23, 23 now? 23, just turned 23. Just turned 23. So, um, you know, realistically, your whole career ahead of you, you're still very young uh, as a goalkeeper, and we, we often talk about goalkeepers' prime being probably closer to 30. I mean, Peter Schmeichel was about that age when he joined Manchester United, and people kind of forget that, you know. Mm. Um, it, it's, it can be different for for different positions. Goalkeepers can, can blossom a little later, so for you to be attracting this attention now um, must be quite exciting.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, it's good... Exciting time ahead. It's something that I never thought I'd be, be in the position to do and be a part of. But when the time comes for a team to talk to me, I'll be very nervous now. Yeah. Because it's never happened before.
2: I've seen uh, some of the, the comments from your teammates and, and Craig McLean mm. um, scored a pretty good free kick uh, a couple of <laughs> weeks ago. Yeah. Didn't he, Craig? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe that, by the way. I'm sure you couldn't either. Um i I seen that he's been talking about, you know, maybe not even just being eventually a goalkeeper that could play at the top level in Northern Ireland, he's been saying offering you a bit of advice and saying potentially mm-hmm. down
1: south or England. Yeah, well he's been and done that, so he's been across the water and you know, he's he's been very, very good this year with me. I must say he's been he's been outstanding with the advice he's been giving me. Um, but he's been giving me sound advice so to keep my head down, just stop getting ahead of myself, just keep doing what I'm doing and stuff. So it's been good sometimes. I feel like I,
2: I pick on Craig, um, <laughs> but it, it's because I think everyone that's played with him always
1: mentions him and says, you know, he's kind of like the player's player. Oh, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Craig runs our fans, our fans book. <laughs> Anything silly, like, there was one time someone turned up with one flip flop and he got fined half of the money. <laughs> so he's very good that way. He organises the pizzas for after the game, so he's oh. very good. Oh, well, then you have to keep him with them, don't yeah.
2: you? <laughs> um, what. Have, what have you been fined for this season? Have you gotten any any
1: funny fines from Craig? You get, obviously, you get fines for yellow cards. So, I've won yellow card this year. Um, it was the first game of the season against the cruise. And just then not bringing your towel, not bringing flip flops, walking in the shower with no flip flops, missing training gear. So, I have a pair of trousers I wear with no orange badge on it, but they're Joma, so I still get fined for them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love all that. So, so Craig's the man you, you don't want to be caught out by them mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. <laughs> so no wonder everyone
1: Something's says nice well, things you'll about him. It. He'll find it.
3: But <laughs> well, was the yellow card at the start of the season was that time waste or was it a foul or what was it?
1: No, that was for a penalty, a giveaway. Oh. Against uh Paul Heatley. Okay. And then it was outside the box <laughs> but he gave it a penalty. Um but um no I got yellow card The reason I
3: asked that is because so a supporter at times a goalkeeper's wasting time really really gets to me mm-hmm. now obviously on the pitch it's a different story if you're leading one that'll go in the last few minutes you'll take as long as you possibly can mm-hmm. oh, but uh, from a support, supporter's perspective sometimes you can't be like get on
1: with it yeah. <laughs> what it's sort of the tricks referee. would you do to try and it, delay what's time the referee says like, can you hurry up then that's when I start to hurry up but
3: would you sort of deliberately waste time, you uh, know. Time, maybe knocking the ball the other side of the, <laughs> yeah. the goal? oh, that's what it is. The trait's coming out now, yeah. Oh, well, not that one, throw
2: that one back. Ball boy, boy, another ball, please. Preferably one that's really far away. Sean Neal said in this program a few weeks back that uh, what he likes to do at times is you know, when you, you're getting ready to take your kick and everyone's like, oh, he wants to see how long they can hold the note for. <laughs> Goalkeepers, they can be a rare breed. Uh, Sam Johnston is uh, certainly not one of those, but he is in a class of his own. A very exciting young keeper that uh, clubs will most certainly be keeping an eye on. Now, a goalkeeper that uh, certainly we were all having a look at was Elliot Morris. Why? Well, he does make the odd good save. Let's give him his props. But he also scored a wonder
13: goal this season. Did he mean it? Really? <laughs> Yeah, well again that was another sort of surreal moment. Um <laughs> and again, people still I was um I've taken a, a few goalkeepers, um, coaching. We have we go keep them school and they were actually still questioning me to the sort of up to last week. You didn't mean it, you didn't mean it. And I'm adamant I meant it. I meant to score the goal. So it's isn't. I've tried it a couple of times and maybe it's Maybe I shouldn't be saying this as a goalkeeper. Goal, uh, obviously, there's another goalkeeper with the goalkeeper union and stuff like that. But at that period, we were on a hell of a run. Like it was a bad, bad run. And I'm not saying I went into the game going flip. i ain't gonna score today. I did, that that didn't happen. I just had the ball, and I went flip. He's a bit far off his nine. And I went, I could, I could reach it. And I, I know I just went for it. And because we had a bit of a wind, and um, the sun as well. So I just put my food through it, and thankfully it just went in.
2: Love that we're on a bad run. You just thought your Curtis That's how it's done, mate. <laughs> 80, Eighty yards or whatever it was. I'll, I'll just ping this in. No probs. Well,
13: sorry. The thing was, everything got never even got a mention for goal of the month.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the boy that
13: scored the boy that scored goal of the month scored for about twenty yards, and I'm like. Are you
3: serious? <laughs> uh, I, I do have to say I've seen a few goalkeepers scoring over the years. I have honestly been older than some of you guys, but it wasn't even so much the goal impression; it was the celebration. Uh, uh, up the touchline, to
13: right I meant <laughs> it, and I was like. Oh my god! I just scored.
2: <laughs> I know. Uh, do you know what? The, the, what's brilliant? You've mentioned the goalkeepers' union. It seems like the least goalkeepers' union thing to do. You went on the. I mean, that is a. That looked like a competition winner celebration. <laughs> <laughs> honest.
13: The thing is, is, say we're on a we're on a massive losing run, and Gary's It was Gary's first game, first full week, and for just just to win that game, for for us as players and for him as a new manager coming in, it was it was brilliant.
2: Because I've seen like Ben Foster has scored goals before, and uh, different keepers, and they they do the wee sort of sorry mate, sorry oh you yeah. I think I, I kind of liked it because like, and you know, if you score a goal, it's good. If you're a yeah. goalkeeper scoring a goal,
13: it's even better. Exactly. Well, the thing. A lot of their goals are just sort of punts at their hands, or <laughs> oh. but mine was a ping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a ping. There's a the difference. Sorry, a ping, time. not a
2: punt. So hold on, then. I mean, have you ever scored in your career before at any stage?
6: Oh yeah,
13: I scored an OG down at Glenavon. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you hit the post once? Did you? Oh sorry, I hit the post. Um, hit the post against dungannon away. Again, hell of a gale, and it's. I just went for it, and I hit the post. Um, yeah, I was about it. <laughs> but I'm going to have to watch out for these now. It another ping. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the OG's there for all the say, so it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, another, it's another milestone.
2: <laughs> he doesn't want you to go looking for that, honestly. Um, our last little clip uh, gave a lot of people a smile and on the day of the Irish Cup final, got a lot of people talking actually, coming up and saying, is it true? Is that really his name? There's loads to come on to as well. No, I definitely want to talk about America, and I want to obviously we're going to talk about the cup final. But this is this is going to be the the silliest question I ask, and yet it's the one I get asked the most when I have when I have a game involving Whitey Anderson. People always go, Is uh
14: is Whitey his real name? A million dollar question, a million dollar question. Oh well, okay. Well, look, um, was you going to take yourself too seriously? But uh, look, it's probably the first time I've ever officially told it anywhere. You know, where some people know it anyway, but my Christian name say, is Wycliffe, W I C L I F F E. And a lot of time when I say it, people would say, But what's your first name? Say, no, that is my first name. Yeah. You know, when people at the, at the uh, maybe an immigration or something would look at your passport, he says, Yep, that's my name. You haven't heard that before. And they'd say, Someone would turn around and say, Yes, I have. John Wycliffe, the singer, and all that stuff. And I can assure you I can't sing, but that's my question.
2: Yeah. Were your family, you know, big fans of his work? or <laughs> was, there, <laughs> was there inspiration from somewhere?
14: I don't know what it was, but uh, yeah. I yeah, often speak to my mother about it and say, why did you call me that? You know, but listen, that, that, that's my name. and Really what happened was that when I was a youngster at school many moons ago in Cookstown, uh, they used to chat about the White Cliffs of Dover, and then somebody says, I we call him Whitey. He used to call me Whitecliff, Whitecliff, instead of Whitecliff. So. Anyway, I mean, there you go.
2: Hey, there you see <laughs> Yeah. I told you one day we'd be educational.
3: There you go, absolutely. And John Wycliffe was a Bible translator from about three or four hundred years ago, so I don't know if that came into it. Maybe possibly that's where he's post noted from. So there you go. But interesting name, mm-hmm. good to hear. So there, we've got a scoop here in the school. Yeah, there yeah. you go, he's, he's uh-huh. just a bit of information. Now.
2: <laughs> that's honestly that'll be. I promise you, now, yeah. that'll be the thing people talk about after that's this. You know, all thing. the all the intelligence <laughs> stuff. I did. a I talked about this before, but I remember doing a, a show around Christmas time one time with. Uh, well, a few different people, but Frank Mitchell was on it. He did a two or three minutes with us just when we get different people on. And he said that he, he had a vegetarian Christmas dinner. He's that, that's okay. okay. And I swear after the programme going, we had three live choirs on, we had like we'd Santa you know, we like I was so proud of how complicated the show was and we'd yeah. probably in three hours we had like two different two hundred different people actually heard on radio and thought, Flip, we are amazing. And I was does he really have a vegetarian? I thought, is that it? <laughs> I don't know, <have> really... <laughs> but there you go. Uh, you, so you never know, but th- exclusive. Love it. We certainly did. Weddy Anderson uh, telling us the news we all wanted to know. What's your real name, mate? Yeah, we're cutting edge on this programme sometimes. Uh, we're bang out of time. Thank you so much for your company over the course of the season. Of course, our thanks goes to Colin Hopkins, who has been uh, brilliant this season. I think you'll agree. And to Johnny, who ditched us, but we still love. To Ross, who has been uh, really good with the rugby, as always. And indeed, all the people behind the scenes that have contributed in many different ways to help make this programme happen. Indeed, producer Paul, who barely ever gets a mention. So, uh, to them and to you for your support, which has, in the past 12 months, really been quite overwhelming. All that remains to be said is enjoy your summer. We'll be back soon. Bye bye.
3: The score with Michael Clark.